Hello, everybody. Welcome to We Talk Games, Volume 2, Episode 5. We Talk Games, the monthly talk magazine, espousing the virtues of video games, the wide, wide world of video games, the thrill of victory, the agony of the f- stinky feet. Wash your feet! I am your host, Root. Do I really have to say Evidently, the meeting of the We Talk Games Council for Podcast Conformity and Listener Integration, otherwise known as Wetgack Flipkleys, has determined, nay, enforced what they are now terming prefixual adjunames. Prefixual adjunames. I am your host, Rootin' Tootin' Wiggly. In the booth, the Swami of Sound, the Rabbi of the Allen and Heath A14222 Penny Giles Crossfader, Keith Lapash. Yo. Sitting three quarters down towards the end of the Trapdoor Chicken Coop Bar and Recreation Center, the dashing and always relevant Stinky the Game Master, Stinky. Hey! I just got back from seeing. Harry Potter in the theater. Oh, really? Did the hell I did. Huh. I didn't see it. I know. Adobe dies. All right. Volvo dies. Got it. Miss Crabtree. She gets sick. To my left, springtime fresh T.T. Smootkins. Yo, what's up? T.T., we have a problem. Last episode, when I was running down the list of movies that John Woo directed, I erroneously tossed in The Incredible Hulk, which was, of course, directed by Ang Lee, but I had it mixed up because we were talking about Chow Yun-Fat, which was in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragoon, and then everything got mixed up. But you are our correctional robot on tour. I mean, you're jacked into the stream. Couldn't you just speak up and say something in? Oof. Yeah, about that. Unfortunately, I was busy looking up that cute robot, Keith Moon, on a Google. Ring that bit. Well, that's understandable. Yeah. Now, you might have noticed I'm a little fidgety. I'm wasting time. Yeah. A little nervous because today's show is stacked. How do you even make this show happen? Nolan Bushnell, Nolan Bushnell, co-founder of Atari, the pioneer of the arcade industry. You stick in a quarter, you turn some knobs, something happens on screen, you get your quarter's worth. The Atari 2600 home video game system. The Atari 700 home computer system. And Ralph Bear, Ralph Bear, the inventor of the first home video game console. Ralph Bear's Brown Box, of course, would later be released by Magnavox as the Odyssey, and then he later went on to wow us with his Simon machine. These, Without these two people, who knows where we would be in our video game galaxy, or what wouldn't be? These are two people at the dawn of video games, piloting the direction of the explosion of the video game scene. And for someone as passionate about video gaming as I am, and I'm sure you all are, this is just amazing to have both Nolan Bushnell and Ralph Bear on our show today. Plus, to hopefully tie it all together, author and movie star, well, let's make him a star if we could release this movie. John Sellers will be on to talk about early video gaming as well as what got him in the the games. And on the line, four co-hosts and correspondents to talk about what's in their fun boxes. And, of course, the We Talk Games dual-topic forum will be up later. We'll be rechristening that. So this show is stacked. Let's not start. Let's go! 
don't you think I sound like a robot? This must be the retro review part Because if it's from the 80s, you must sing like robot I love the retro review segment of the show, and I think it most personifies the spirit of We Talk Games. However, I think that the name retro review is a little little misleading, especially considering some of the content that you get from the Xbox Arcade. I think a more appropriate term might be downloadable arcade at home, but I don't have time to recut the song, so we'll stick with retro review for now, but that's what I mean. Uh, let's start with the virtual console. Without a doubt, the Wii is the leader in legit legal emulation for the three newest consoles. Let's start with the, what came out for the Virtual Console. Genesis, we saw the release of Space Harrier. Space Harrier, you were really looking to complete the launch title, early original Genesis lineup feeling at home. All we need now, I think, is Super Hang On. We pretty much got it all. Pulse Man, Pulse Man, a Japanese release. If you, uh, It's sort of like a slow Sonic with Mega Man. Except that, of course, it's their own Pulse Man, and he can do certain types of things that are very reminiscent of Mega Man, but with like a, a futuristic-looking, parallax, Sonic-y background. For the Master System, we saw Fantasy Zone 2, The Tears of Upa Upa, just for the, the subtitle, you need to purchase this game. This really shows how colorful and vibrant that original Sega Master System, and how much it really had it all over the NES as far as color went. So, uh, Fantasy Zone 2, I think, is a very solid title for the Master System. If, if you want to if you want to delve into getting your first Master System game, this might be the one to uh, do it, because it's worth it. Also had Secret Command, uh, which is a Japanese release for the Sega Master System. This is Sega's answer to Akari Warriors, uh, and the whole before they got the Rambo license and stuff like that. This is two-player... I don't know if it still maintains all the slowdown and choppiness uh, of the original... Master System, but it may. For the Turbo Graphics, we got Sim Earth, one of the last Turbo CDs that was released by TTI. Uh, and John Madden Football was was another one of those. Uh, oh, those are sad times. They're depressing to me. They they were they were great to me. Uh, they're very fond memories because, uh, as you may or may not know, the Turbo Graphics is still my favorite system, including the PC Engine and the Super Graphics. That family of release that timeline. Uh, from NEC, but I love I loved uh, those last days of TTI. Although you know it didn't it didn't do too well, and some of the things we got Andrea Ponza kickboxing and things like that said. And I got to tell you, I bought Sim Earth right when it came out, and I've yet to put it in my turbo. So I, I don't consider think I'll be downloading. I'm sure it's great. I just uh, it's not my it's not my. Uh, I'm saving it. I'm saving it. That, and I think I only tried the dinosaur one like once, but that's more like a history museum, a history of dinosaur. What was that called? Magical Dinosaur Tour. For the Commodore 64, we saw California Games. Here, get your epics fixed now. California Games, I don't know how many times. You know, it didn't control great. The graphics were... Mm, I don't know. I, I want to say juvenile, but they weren't. But some of them were huge. But how how long did you spend playing hacky sack or trying to do the half pipe or or trying to do uh, you know the surfing bits and then the roller skating? I mean, you just kept going back to it, no matter how bad it was or how clunky and clumsy it was. You, you, it sort of had that addictive quality to it. So it'd be nice to revisit that title again. I think. 
And that's it for the Wii as far as the virtual console goes. And the show's so stacked today, I don't even want to get into the, the WiiWare and stuff like that. Let's let's bring those up if anyone uh, played them. Uh, we'll, we'll bring those up separately. Xbox Arcade. Oh, my gosh. A bunch of cool point suckers. If you if you have the Xbox Arcade and you took a look in what was released, uh, if you could pull yourself a, away from 1 versus 100 beta, I guess, uh, this is some amazing, amazing stuff. We had Battlefield 1943, I guess, which is the big, big one, the return of the PC game franchise. But it's different. It's not a sequel. It's a sidequel and all this other business. But this is a lot of fun. It also came out for the PS3. So get that if you, if you want to play your buddies on a PS3, if you have any, uh, which which is just sad because I want to buy it for the PS3, but I have like three friends on there, and they I think they only pop in to see if anyone friended them, and then they then they're right back off again, or maybe watch a movie. When I first saw this Battlefield 1943, I said, "Oh, this this doesn't look so good." I mean, considering the the World at War franchise, uh, the the whole Call of Duty, and how you know incredible that looks i thought well this isn't much to look at but then what you realize is that well number one it's 15 dollars. it's online play you could go in a boat a tank uh, a jeep a airplane you could do all these things you know your regular grenades and different weapons as well but it's capture the flag you could do these things at any time you want there's no story you just go and you try to capture the flag and you're fighting other real people it's really really cool and definitely worth it at that price point we also saw King of Fighters 98 and uh, Goru Mark of the Wolf wow two great fighting games uh, how fortunate to have this Neo Geo emulation going on here and the 360 has no problem handling the emulation of the Neo Geo system. I mean, the only thing you're really missing from that experience is the Neo Geo joysticks that came with the original uh, Neo Geo home console system. And you also get the uh, some nice little Neo Geo artwork side mezzanine uh, to block out the NTSC formatting, uh, or rather the 3x4 formatting of the original uh, Neo Geo titles, as opposed to the 16x9 formatting of your television if you have that. And let's face it, the best way to experience these titles is on a television. We also saw Worms 2 Armageddon. Well, you know what that all is. But we also got this really neat game, Rocket Riot. Now, you might think Rocket Riot, and you look at the artwork, and you're like, mm, no. Download this. Bearded Pirate Missile Men uh, to start off, and Professor MC Squared. How can you go wrong? This is Flying Worms as Mighty Beans and Lunar Lander. You combine all that and a great soundtrack that's evidently off cassette. And this is a really, really neat shoot 'em up It's a shooter. You're, you're shooting other people on this um, pan and scan, a scrolling screen, rather. And it's it's sharp it's sharp mighty beans it has everything i like in it so uh, this is this is a neat neat title check it out it's you know it's worth the download to to give it a go sam and max also released their save the world their six episode series for twenty dollars uh, we talked about this a little bit kyle talked about this a little bit on previous episodes magic the gathering came out uh boy here you go here you go magic kids if I don't, I have no idea why anyone would want this uh, on a video game system. It looks just like playing the real game, and I guess that would be it. If if you don't, if you can't gather with your magic buddies, I don't know what would keep Magic the Gathering pl- players from gathering. 
people that play Magic the Gathering, the physical card game, they'll 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 get to their gathering if they have a bear trap on and it's an earthquake happening. So I don't know. I guess you could play, you know, across the wide expanses of the Ethernet. So that's a good thing, I guess. And you might also be able to figure out how to play it from the tutorial, although I doubt it. Then we also got drop droplets, droplets for the PS3 and the Xbox Arcade. An Atlas release puzzle game for $10. That sounds like they're really pushing it there. Especially for something that the casual gamer or the even the hardcore gamer might just look at and say, Oh, pipe dreams. Why do I want to do that? Let me tell you, this is a tense action and block-dropping water-style game. Definitely worth the demo. You might like it. And to wrap it up, the PlayStation Store, like I said, Battlefield 1943, drop droplets. I, I thought it said Dr. Plots or something was in the name of this. It looks so weird. And we also got Punisher No Mercy on the PlayStation Store. Punisher No Mercy uses the Unreal Engine. You have two to eight network players. Uh, will anyone be on board to even give this a go with the depth of 1943? I doubt it. And that's sad because this eventually, with a few patches and a few improvements and things like this, this actually might might have drawn me back into that first-person shooter that, you know, I'm just grown grown so bored with uh, seeing everything that looks the same, because this has the Punisher franchise name attached to it. And I tell you to give it a demo, but unfortunately I can't find a demo for this in the PlayStation Store, so uh, it's only $10, though. So I guess if you were thinking of throwing $10 out in the street, you might as well pick this up. And that's it! Let's get our co-host on here. Keith, open the lines! For Crumpet Muffin Kyle Von Kubik. Satellite of Integrity, go! Wiggly, what's going on? Hey, is my voice coming through? Your voice is coming through. We oh. Talk Games is a 3D podcast for a 3D world. How you doing, Wiggly? It, it, it used to be, anyway. Used to be. Yeah. Now we're uh, in 4D. We Are we in 4D? I yeah, no we idea. also got Smell. Wow, I yeah. didn't get that memo. Okay. Do, do we have video now? I know we, we have video of smell. Awesome. You have to look at the stink. Very good. All right, it wouldn't be a We Talk Games podcast without at least one addendum <laughs> on my you part. You are the addendum-nator. I'm going to have to like uh, proposition some sort of addendum drop-in or something every time I say the word addendum. Yeah, addendum. I already uh, had a berate TT for not catching me on that uh, John Woo business, so go ahead. What's your addendum? Well, either I misspoke or there was some sort of audio dropout, but um, we were talking about the Game & Watch collection for the DS that's available through Club Nintendo. Yeah. And it, uh, while I was listening back, it sounded like I said... 100 Club Nintendo coins or points. It's not 100, it's 800. So I oh, want to make sure I pronounce that correctly. Yeah. I just, I don't want to get people excited like, hey, you know, I put in the register code for two games and now I can buy, the, you know, it's 800 Club Nintendo coins. You don't know the pile of letters I got about that. Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> no so, one even uh, knows about this site. They, there's less people that go to Club Nintendo than go to uh, wetalkgames.fuzz. We talk games that I didn't even know that existed. A dot fuzz account? You don't have yeah. one of those? No, see, uh, I'm not even a part of that. Okay. People should be going to Club Nintendo as well as go to the uh, We Talk Games uh, bulletin board forum, whatever you want. Yeah. Play. Yeah. Go to WeTalkGames.com. Sign up. I'll make fun of your post. It will be great. We'll have a good time. Yeah. That's hey. A uh, hey. 
Yeah. What do you What have you been playing? Well, last month, Ralph was on, and he was saying how, in a roundabout way, or maybe very directly, saying that the Wii was for babies. Yeah. So I sought kids. out the most manly, testosterone-driven game possible okay. on the Wii. Right. And I found that with the Munchables. Munchables. Yes, the Munchables. Not the plastic trays with the rancid meat and crackers. No, that's Lunchables. This yeah, is I, Munchables. I wrote down Lunchables, actually. I thought you were going to talk about the Hulk salami sandwich. Yes, unfortunately not. Maybe next month. Okay. Hold on. Can I get a... Can I get a... Go ahead. All right, real quick. Do you like Katamara Damashi or Macy or whatever you say? You uh, like no, game? I don't like it. All right, well, if you don't like it, stay away from this game. Oh, okay. You might want to rent it if you're not a fan of Katamari. If you I love fan, it. You love it. Yeah. If you, are, if you love Katamari, chances are you're really going to enjoy this game. It's not a cheap knockoff, but it's kind of got that similar feel of doing silly things to achieve other silly things. Oh, okay. And hmm. the whole thing about getting bigger, you know, you'd make a bigger bowl in Katamari. Yeah. Well, in this game, you're getting bigger. Your character, your munchable is getting bigger. Oh, but before I say anything, they turned let's talk that about, around. Yeah, they made it a little different. Instead um, of you pushing it, it's it pushes pushing, you. Yeah, no, uh, this is really well, work. You before I even get you. into this, I got to talk about the Wiggly Mini Mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Price. Now the Munchables. If you go to you go to your local game store, it's thirty dollars. Mm. Go to the Wiggly Mini Mall, mm. and you can buy the Munchables new for nineteen ninety nine. Oh, or fourteen eighty nine used. Uh, yeah, that's great prices. Great prices. That and is that is like a flea market. Without the fleas, yeah. got you before you stole it from me. All right, so here we go. Let's talk about the game. It's got a great art style. It's a standard like 3D action platformer. You get a choice between these two munchables, which um, one kind of looks like a chain chomp from the Mario series, and the other oh. one kind of looks like a, a puppy. And uh, the whole story about this game is these pirates have come and stolen this legendary orb, which kind of like look, look, looks like an ice cream swirl or like a poop. Oh, it's probably and, poo. That'd be great yeah, if well, it's a poo. <laughs> there's more poo in the game, believe it or not. Okay. Anyway, these space pirates look like vegetables. They look like uh, radishes and corn Uh-oh. and everything else. And you gobble these guys up. And as you gobble them up, you increase your level and you also increase your size. Your girth. Your girth. What's interesting about the game is the world shrinks. You, uh, if that makes sense, instead yeah. of you getting bigger, the world is actually getting smaller, which you're is kind it. of a cool mechanic to it. As you eat guys, you have this little stomach meter in the uh, upper left-hand corner, and that fills up, and once it gets full, you uh, increase a level. So what these levels do is, dependent on what your level is and what the enemy's level is, you'll either have to break the enemy down into smaller levels by attacking them, into smaller pieces, and then you can gobble them up. Or um, you'll be a larger level than the smaller characters. So it's all about numbers and size and whether you're big enough to eat this guy or small enough to do this and you got to do that. It sounds a little like of, that Xbox arcade game where you're eating fish, you're fish eating fish, t- tied in with the Katamari series. Yeah, it, it definitely is like that. And, you know, Feeding as you increase frenzy. in size, you don't just um, you don't get the ability just to eat uh, guys that once you couldn't, but you also get to other areas of the levels and boards and things oh, okay. like that. So it's kind of, it's it's fun. Simple controls. You can use the Wii remote and the nunchuck. Uh, you do the A to attack, B uh, rather the uh, I think it's A to attack and B to gobble them up, and then you do a little waggle on the Wii remote to jump. Or you could do what I do, which is just use the classic controller because I can't stand doing the whole wiggle to jump. But oh. that's 
for some people, they dig that. So that's cool that it's in there. Like I was saying, you gobble up enemies and you, you get bigger. There's uh, also four different power-ups you can use. There's a vacuum mode, there's a quake mode, um, a speed mode, and a spin mode. These are just different methods to gobble up these guys quicker. Now, you can die in the game. If you get hit by one of the enemies, you'll tempor- temporarily shrink in size. And if you get hit again while shrunken, you die. But the game is really easy. I mean, if, if you do get hit by an enemy and shrink, you can just, like, sort of scurry off away from enemies and wait till you get big again. I see. Um, the most challenging part about this game is the boss battles, but even they're not really that challenging. Overall, the game is, like, very easy if you're an experienced gamer. There's eight worlds, three levels in each, two boards, one, you know, boss level. I'd recommend it. If you like Katamari, I think you're going to like this game. If Katamari wasn't your thing, maybe rent it at $20 new at the Wiggly Mini Mall. Mm. Pick this game up. Yeah. Wiggly, now... Uh, in my quest to find these manly testosterone-driven games, yeah. I also stumbled upon a game on the Nintendo DS. How sick are you of the Lego series in uh, video games? I just picked up Indiana Jones for the PS3. It was $3.89, so I had to buy it. But I didn't open it. Right. But I, I can't... Listen, I don't care if any... I'll pick up a, a basketball game if it's $3.89. True, yeah, that's a great price. Uh, you know, the Lego franchise has been kind of delving into all these different movie licensings and yeah. things. And some people are sick of it, some people aren't. Some people are saying the games are just cookie cutter, where yeah. it's, it's just the same thing with a different side. Well, here's exactly. something different. Lego Battles for the Nintendo DS. And I saw this, but I didn't get it. I was leery about it. Now, I heard a lot of great things about it, so I'm like, hmm. I'll give this game a try. Great what things, I, you say. Great. I heard great things about okay. it. Okay. A lot of people comparing it to Warcraft 3 on the PC and, uh, and things like that. And I'm like, how? I'm looking at the back of this thing. Graphically, the game wow. looks like a, a very polished like SNES game. Uh-huh. You know? uh-huh. But what I found was a relatively decent real-time strategy game, an RTS, for the DS. To me, it was more Warcraft 1 than Warcraft 3. There are hero units, there's base building and things like that, but I, it, with limited squads of nine and a lot of resource gathering, I just I felt like I was playing Warcraft 1 again. Now, that's me. It's not a bad game. It's a decent RTS for your DS. Now, you know, do you there, build like a castle? Well, here's the thing about the game. Now, there's what I like about this game, one of the things I like is that it's not based off any sort of movie franchise. Instead, it's based off the Lego franchise. Yeah, that's cool. So you have... You have uh, six campaigns with three different uh, Lego series. Like that the it's Pirates built around. So, and the Space, hopefully. Yeah, there's there's Pirates, Space, and Castle. And then there, you play the good guys and the bad guys. So you start off with Castle, and you get Knights, and then you get a, a Archers. And it's a learn-as-you-go experience where it, it's very much like the old Warcraft games on the PC, where you'd start with very simple missions and then work your way up to large-scale scale battles. The problem with the large-scale battles is, because you only have a limited nine units per squad, it, there's a lot of micromanaging going on, mm-hmm. and it does have a nice scroll with the stylus, and you can select, uh, you know, click and drag, and gather up guys relatively easy. But a lot of times you'll send units off on the, you know, to a certain destination on the map, and they'll get confused or stuck, so you have to go over there and reroute them. Uh-huh. And well, they're uh, made out of plastic. <laughs> exactly, and uh, I found some issues with trying to grab a single unit from a group of them like i would hit it and miss and then hit it twice and then i'd grab all of that 
type of unit, like all of the archers, because if you do a double tap, mm-hmm. you can grab all of that unit that's in the uh, screen. Overall, it's an okay game. I'd suggest to rent. If you really like it, you can pick it up for twenty seven ninety nine new or twenty one ninety nine used. The Wiggly Mini, mini Mall, <laughs> which isn't a great you know break, but yeah. it's it's a little bit less money than your uh, game store up the road. Right. There is a local multiplayer, but you need the multi card. It's not you know off of one card, which uh-huh. I do not like. I always like when it's the single card multiplayer. Even but though you, you got to wait like thirty that. minutes to download it. Yeah, and I didn't get a chance to play this multiplayer, so I can't really comment about lag, although I imagine it, it is there. Maybe not, I don't know. Um, there's also a free mode play where you can play against the AI, so that's cool. And, you know, like LEGO games, there's little cutscenes and storyline that's cutesy and humorous, I guess, if that's your thing. You know, Kyle, well, I'm, I'm a little PO'd at this whole LEGO series. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm an old man, you know. I didn't, I couldn't, number one, when LEGOs came out, they were far too expensive for me to afford, and I was 20, so that would be bad. <laughs> But uh, when are they going to come out with, like, Lincoln Logs Battle or Erector Set Battle? Uh, you know what? I'm not even going to look into that for you because I don't think that will ever come out. Mm. Uh, you can try to lobby maybe, uh, mm. <laughs> like, Atari or somebody like mm. that. Hasbro. Who, who owns the rights to those When are they going to come out with Wooden Stick Battle? Wooden Stick Battle? Wasn't yeah. there a game called Irritating Stick? There was, and we, and in the future we'll talk about today's, one of today's topics is going to be bad album art, and let's not mention oh, that, that. because definitely had bad box art. That yeah, game. but let's not even mention it then. Okay, let's not. We'll Done. Later. No, we won't later. Oh, we won't? No. All right. Maybe I'll forget by then. Yeah. All right, the next game I picked up had a lot of hype around it. I don't know if it fits into this manly, testosterone-driven category, but it's prototype for the Xbox 360. Oh, I uh, heard about this from yeah, you. It's an, it's an open world. Yeah, we talked off the line about it. In fact, um, you were, when we were talking about it, I was explaining to you that it's an open world, third-person action game where you have superpowers and you're running around and pretty much just decimating things. And you brought up Hulk Ultimate Destruction. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, what I found out was the game is actually developed by the same people who developed that game. Wow. And, yeah, so th- there's some shades of that going on with some super strength. But the game itself is kind of mixed bag. I, I enjoy it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. The gist of the story is you're an experiment that has ex- escaped from this laboratory called Gentech, which is probably the most generic name <laughs> you could come up with. And it's suitable considering that the stage of this game is so very generic. Now, going back to the mixed bag uh, theory with this game, the animations and the characters visually look very nice, but then it's on this sort of stale, blank stage of what's, what is supposed to be New York City, but seems just like gen- generic, run-of-the-mill you know, city background. There's some issues with clipping and fog and hmm. you can't really see items un- unless you're like right on top of them when you're like flipping through the city and having, you know, fun flying around and yeah. dropping elbows off the top of buildings. And yes, you can do that in the game. Ah. But all- w- with that aside, I really did have a lot of fun with this game because it has a lot of different moves and power-ups that you can acquire along the way. Now, as you do that, they become increasingly more difficult and annoying to pull off you'll you'll have to hit weird button combinations so once you start unlocking all of these numerous power-ups mm. you'll end up doing moves on accident just and because you happen to hit the buttons in that sequence you probably which forget is, even how to do them yeah well that's the thing too is there's a lot in there they crammed a lot in there 
it's pro- you know what it was probably a great idea on paper but in execution it was maybe too ambitious the story like i said is a little generic there's cutscenes that were going for a cinematic feel and there's interesting cinematography i know we were talking last month or you were talking last month about the cinematic of a game mm-hmm. and you can see that there's attempts there but the dialogue f- like falls a little flat sometimes um, it feels like a lot of f bombs were thrown in there just because we have the M rating. Let's you know just say yeah. you know f this and f that, yeah. which you know being an adult gamer t- to me just like is just like ah uh, you don't need that. Yeah, um, boring. And like I said, it's an open world game with free roaming elements, but as I discussed offline, the game sort of is like yeah, but don't do that. Just stick to the missions because when you start exploring on your own, there's not much going on. Hmm. Uh, the the bystanders walking the street act like health packs where you can absorb them in a very gr- like g- gross sort of way. You sort of like um, liquefy them into yourself. Okay. It was strange to me is as you're doing this, as you're like decimating just innocent bystanders, others will just stand there and watch you <laughs> like devour somebody who's standing right next to them. So the AI is often laughable in the game. Yeah. But it's a lot of fun. There's some sneak and stealth elements about it. You can absorb enemies and disguise yourself as them. You can absorb bystanders and disguise yourself as them after you absorb them. There's a side mission called the Web of Intrigue where you go around and you absorb people and then you can see their memories. And this is sort of a a window to the grander uh, story of the game, which... I didn't really find that necessary to play the game. The well, game anything named itself, Web of Intrigue has already not intrigued me whatsoever. Yeah, it, it, you know, the, the story's too generic f- for people to really find it necessary to go through that mission anyway. But you'll stumble upon these guys, and you'll see a little marker above their head. So eh, sometimes you go over and you absorb them. Sometimes you can't be concerned. Okay. You know, there's a lot of great things you do. You rip apart tanks, you can throw cars, you can hijack helicopters. And like I said, one of the moves you can unlock is actually dropping an elbow onto your enemies. So you can go to the top of uh, Hmm. of a very tall building and just jump off and just drop this cosmic elbow off the top of this building and make a nice big crater in the ground because you can fall from any height and not die. I see. Well, as Um, long as you don't do the goofy double axe handle off the top of a building, I'm all right with that. Crown me! Remember that movie? The game is fifty eight ninety nine new on the Wiggly Mini Mall. If you enjoyed the Wolverine game a little bit, or if you like those sort of third-person action games with the open-world elements, mm-hmm. I would say rent it, and if you really enjoy it and you really like it, definitely go out and buy it, mm-hmm. you know, because that's the thing. But definitely you demo worth a rent, this, right? maybe a cautious buy. You What's could, that? You could demo this, I would assume. Yeah, you can definitely demo it. There you go. Um, what I liked about the game is it thrusts you right into the action it teaches you as you go which is i always like that it the mm. teachers go instead of sitting through a tutorial yeah. you're playing the game right you know next up i want to talk about call of duty world at war i, I noticed that you purchased this i saw yeah. it on your tag i don't know if you got into any of the uh, multiplayer aspects of it like the uh, zombie mode and, and no, i'm just going through to try to unlock the zombie mode so that's what i've been doing because i guess uh, you have to beat the game to do that you do have to beat the game to do it, but I was under the impression that you can buy the first map pack and just have the zombie oh. unlocked for you. You can uh, cheat, is basically uh, what I'm yeah. saying. I won't do that. I'll buy okay. it in a second. I've been enjoying what I've been doing. I like how short the missions are, and it's a beautiful game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I like that, uh, I, like I said, I like the brevity of the missions. I think that's great. I mean, you can sit there and play it all night long if you want to, but a lot of gamer on the goes, like, uh, like Wiggly here, 
it's nice to have those shorter type of bits. Right. And there's speaking of cinematics, there's some great cinematic elements to that game. Yeah. Which thrust you right into the middle of it. Right. The Map Pack 2 DLC has just dropped. It dropped last month for 800 Xbox points. Mm. And um, I would actually, if you haven't picked up Map, Map Pack 1, I would suggest picking the second one up. Because they've taken some new elements into their zombie mode. Um, what you get in this map pack is four maps altogether. Three for the multiplayer, one in the zombie mode. Uh, the three in the multiplayer are pretty standard multiplayer maps. There's The, the most interesting one would be uh, what's called sub-pens. And it's um, this submarine pen that's been bombed out. It's kind of interesting. But really what you're getting this map pack for is the zombie mode map, which is called Shi no Numa which I believe roughly translates to Marsh of Death in Japanese, I'm not sure. But this map actually takes more of a Left 4 Dead approach to the zombie mode within Call of Duty, which I like. Basically what it is is now you're in a much more open map so you can run between buildings and you play as either a soldier from the Red Army, a soldier from the German side, a soldier from the Imperial Army or the Japanese side, or an American Marine. And that's where it kind of gets a little left for daddy because there's the, the four um, stereotype characters from the zombie uh-huh. movie. Now we have four, stere- well, not stereotypes, but we have four soldiers from each side. I don't know if they did this because of, you know, they wanted to be PC, not just have the American soldiers uh-huh. shooting these Can you Nazi be the predator? You cannot be the and predator. Aliens? That would be awesome. Okay. As long as it wasn't done with as it was done in Alien versus Predator for the Atari Jaguar. Yes, that's exactly how it would be. Yeah, well, then it wouldn't be very awesome. So what you do in the zombie mode is you're attacking, instead of attacking Nazi zombies, you're attacking Japanese Imperial zombies. It's a lot of fun, and there's more power-ups, a lot of elements to this new map. Because it's more open, you're not confined into one building. It's a lot of fun. If you got Call of Duty World at War, chances are you already got this map pack. But if not, if you're on the fence or if you're like you, Wiggly, yeah. and you haven't gotten the first map pack, I'd suggest buying the second map pack. Okay. Because the zombie mode in this is far superior than that prior. So it's nice to see that they're continuously invo- evolving this uh, zombie mode in, in the game. Hey! Hey! Hey, Stinky. Hey, guys. What do you want, Stink? Uh, hey, I got a con. It's time for the it's time for the Stinky's contest in a month. <laughs> Oh, yeah? That's great. Yeah. You just, uh, you mail your entries to, uh, contest. Stinky, what what entries are we mailing? What what is it? The completed entry form. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I think you need to be more specific, Stinky. Well, listen to this song, okay? Okay. That's a good song. I like that song. All you gotta do is know what that song is. Then you mail your name of the song to contest at wetalkgames.com. Yeah, one winner will be selected, although many will enter. You will get a $25 gift certificate to our friends from our friends at Jinx. Dot com. It's J oh, very nice. I N X dot 
com. Then you can buy yourself a Dungeons and Dragons shirt or geek shirt, and it's a it's it's an identity, but it's also a lifestyle. A lot of great shirts over there, Jinx. Wow! How did how the hell did you work? How that, did he pull that off? How did you work that deal, Stinky? Hey, I gotta go out of here now. Stinky's got the sweet hookups, I, evidently. I gotta go. All right, Bye, Stinky. Stinky. That was great. So yeah, so mail your entries about whatever that song was. To, now that's legit. That's a legit that contest. Is, that is completely legit. Jinx dot nope. com, part of the We Talk Games universe. In giving us the twenty-five dollar gift certificate for ex- exclusively for our Fantastic. listeners, fantastic! That's great. Just some notable mentions on my part. I was playing River City Ransom with a friend. I know we're going to talk about this later in the forum uh, panel section of the show about games that are fun to play with your friends. I bought River City Ransom for five hundred Wii points on the uh, virtual console. Yeah, and him and I had a blast just blowing through that game. It was a lot of fun. Laughing at taking, uh, picking up one another and using your friend as a weapon, you know, beating oh, right. other sure, guys sure. over the head. Yep, so yep. it was a lot of fun. That's about it. I mean, I, I picked up the the conduit for the Wii, but I haven't got a chance to play it yet. You know, I've heard a lot of hype about this game, but I've also read some uh, not so great reviews about the game. So I want to see what it's about. But I'll, I'll talk about that next month. Cool. We talk games. Hey, stay on the line, Kyle. And then, like last time, stuff will happen. Bye. Goodbye. Kyle Von Kubik from Heroes of Gravitron. Check him out uh, off the links on our We Talk Games site, wetalkgames.com. Oh my God, Keith, look at the look at the time. Let's let's open up the lines. Nolan Bushnell, let's get him on here. Los Angeles, go! Nolan Bushnell on the line. Nolan, are you there? Can you hear me? I can. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Great. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Now, a lot of people consider you the grandpappy, the pappy, the papa of the arcades, the founder of the video game industry. I like to think of you as the pioneer of the digital entertainment. Pong, Atari, first arcade video game machines, uh, super successful cartridge-based console. But what gets overshadowed, I think, is by the innovation, which it was very innovative, is the business behind this innovation. Without that successful business end, who knows where we would have ended up? Well, I think any kind of, of impact has to have a business model to go along with it because otherwise you can't pay everybody's salaries and you can't pay the engineers and uh, you, you really have to have a finely crafted machine. And uh, a lot of young entrepreneurs in the game business find that they're great technologists but they don't get the business right and find that they uh, have they struggle. And and you you speaking of uh, innovation, I mean, where did that early business model come from? The jacuzzi, the beer on tap, that type of that type of uh, model. Well, we found that we had a very young workforce, and that they loved to party as much as they loved bonuses. And we found that if we set a goal and hit the goal, we'd throw a party. And it was a very, very effective thing to do, and, and it created an environment that was, I think, very unique, and people uh, responded to it, and uh, people over the years have said uh, working for Atari and Chuck E. Cheese was the, the best uh, jobs that they've ever had. You started Atari in 1970-something. 
Well, we, we started the precursor called Physigy in 1970, actually okay. late 1969. And then when we decided to incorporate, we started out thinking we were just going to build games and license them to the big guys. And then somewhere along the line, we we found ourselves in the manufacturing business and, you know, kind of... Uh, next step uh, big company <laughs> sure sure I, I mean all the documentaries they've been on countless documentaries some very good very very good uh, documentaries that really draw you into this uh, amazing story of, of the early years there uh, most of them spend a lot of time on Pong and for good reason because you know I'm, I'm but I'm very interested in hearing more about computer spaces I mean how'd that come about Computer Space was a, um, I, I fell in love with a game called Space War that we played on the university computers when I was in engineering school. Right. And I felt that if I took that game and could make it cheaply, that it would be successful. And so Computer Space was really aimed to create Space War in the coin-operated world. I see. And, uh, and so I designed it in my daughter's bedroom and... You know, it was so much more complex than Pong mm. that people often think Pong came first and computer space second. But no, we actually started with the hard one. Yeah. And uh, Pong was actually, you know, literally a two-day project. Wow. And, and uh, Al, of course, was brought in on that. Uh, was, was Ted around at that time as well? Yes. Okay, uh -huh. very good. And, and that, was your, that was your company? That's it. Ted was employee number two. Okay. Al was employee number three, and then we had a receptionist that was employee number four. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And you just thought, let's put this in the, in a bar and see what happens. Yeah. And in in a, in a hopes, I guess, to pitch it to uh, bigger companies, but uh, then then you ended up just just doing it all yourself. Exactly. And then uh, now you were you uh, sold Atari in '76. Um, but Correct. before then, I guess a lot of other things happened. Of course, uh, everybody on my show wants to know about uh, the game with the booby joysticks, the gotcha, of course, in 1970. <laughs> How did that come about? We were just making stuff up as we were going along, and uh, we thought that joysticks were considered phallic, so we felt that... Uh, we should uh, be an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> I see, I see. And w and why not mix that with some type of square chasing an X, like a car maze square X booby game? Well, the, um, you know, it took, it turns out that, that doing a car with the technology in the time was very, very difficult. Sure, sure. And so it wasn't until, you know, I think late, late 74, we were able to do a, grand, a game called Grand Track that turned into Track 10, which was our first driving game. Okay, okay. Were you only working in raster graphics back then, or were were there some teams that were developing for uh, the Vectrix? We developed, yeah, we developed the Vector Graphics Engine, which, um, I don't know if you've ever played the game Tempest, which in sure. is one of my all-time favorites. Definitely. Um, Lunar Lander was all was in Vector Graphics. Loved it. And uh, Vector Graphics gave you some interesting tools to give certain types of games that you couldn't do in raster graphics at the time. Of course, today you can do anything in raster graphics, but uh, in those days um, it was it was very difficult. And I never hear about how Atari did overseas. How how was the market like in Japan or, or Europe? We were a worldwide company. We actually started a company called Atari Japan. Okay. And uh, 
found that we really couldn't manage it well. Uh, we were a young company. We didn't know what we were doing in a lot of ways. And so we ended up selling Atari Japan to Namco. Oh. And Namco was a relatively small uh, kitty ride manufacturer at the time. And that sale to Namco put them on the map to become the company that they've become. Yeah, that, that we really got them into the video game business. Wow, wow! I did not know that. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the type of interviewer that knows the answers to every questions and thinks this will be interesting. I want to know. Um, <laughs> right. Many early games in in the arcade and in in the early uh, Atari 2600, uh, they, they you had to play them with another person. Was that something important? To, well, I guess of course AI technology wasn't even a thought at that time. But was that important to have? You know, the camaraderie, that uh, social interaction? We felt that um, a lot of these games were designed, particularly in the coin-op space, to go into bars. Okay. And uh, bars are convivial. Um, the number of people that have said that they've uh, met their husband or wife while playing Pong, it's probably been a thousand in the years uh, after, you know, when they meet me. I see, I see. I I never I never thought of that. I guess that could happen. I I always went there with my pop, so I I guess I was already related to him. Um, now, how that's speaking of that, that brings uh, something to mind. Although this wasn't to play online, but the modem. Did you have anything to do with the twenty six hundred modem and for game designers? Oh yeah, and- we we had uh, we really. In fact, I've often thought I wonder if uh, I were to. Uh, go back and not sold to Atari if we might have invented the internet a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like we, uh, we were going to do an online game using modems and we actually had the patents on the fastest modem at the time that were ultimately sold off. But we, uh, we had a uh, 2200 baud modem in the 70s wow. that was going to be aimed to a, game, uh, to a, a telephonic game system. Right on, right on. Um, is there any gaming company that you really admire now? Oh, I, I, uh, I admire a lot of them. There's some really wonderful work done. I mean, you cannot play Halo without saying, boy, this is really, really good graphics, great response. Of course, I was a big fan of uh, id Software and the, the pioneering work they did with Doom. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and then, of course, the Warcraft series. I loved Warcraft, and, and later on, World of Warcraft, which uh, you know really created a, a fun world. EverQuest, and I think uh, I think Bioshock is a, is a game that I kind of like the the world and the immersive nature, and of course, the graphics is spectacular. That's great, and of course, now you're you're the CEO of Uwink and uh, all that uh, tap code business and stuff like that that people might see in the local bars, and you did the Chuck E. Cheese. No, and I know that you got to get to. Uh, I know you got to get to a meeting, but I want to run down a couple of uh, a couple of words here, and you tell me if you were involved with this or if you have any social commentary on it or anything like that. And uh, I'll let I'll let you get off real quick. The fifty two hundred cool. controller. None, no involvement at all. I okay. hated that thing. I thought it was really screwed up. Yeah, it was. It, it was overly complex <laughs> for what it did. Um, now, yeah. did you did were there any plans for the fifty two hundred when you were still uh, running Atari there? Not really. We we expected the uh, the Atari four hundred to morph into the next gen video game platform. Okay. And the um, 
and but we expected it to happen in like 1979 or, or 80 at least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, w- Warner just thought that they were making record players, <laughs> and uh, that it was the software business. He didn't realize that the technology. In fact, the day we shipped the first 2600, I told Warner that, uh, you know, okay, now this game is obsolete. We've got to start on the next gen. Right, right. And and they thought they... They, they thought I'd lost my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and and everybody knows that's exactly how it is in the technology industry now. Uh, Atari, Atari Force bundled with the system. Dudes in orange jumpsuits. Atari Force. That was after I sold. Right on. How about Stunt Cycle, the Atari model SC450? Oh, boy. That was, uh, that was at the magic time that was just between... Consumer Pong and the 2600, where we had some specialized games, uh, did pretty well, actually. I love it. I still play it. I, you know what? Uh, the, trick, yeah. the trick to it is you do it all by, by listening. When you listen, that's yeah. how you know that you can, you can make the next ramp. Yep. Atari Pinball, Atari Model C380, I guess that was another one of the interim games, as well as the tank games, I guess. Yeah, those, those were great games. I loved them. I loved them. Still, and, still relevant today, I think, if you could find one. I think so. Getting a royalty check anytime a sprite moves across the screen. Yeah, there, there, there's some crazy things in in the licensing world, and uh, you know, it's it's why the movie industry is populated with so many attorneys. Sure. Was was that your involvement, or was that the new Atari? It was the new Atari. Okay, very good. Hey, Nolan Bushnell, anything that you want to leave our listeners with? No, just uh, keep playing and have fun. And uh, it's very, very clear that the more you play games up to a certain point, it keeps your brain agile. And so uh, keep playing and have a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, the best is yet to come. Hey, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. I appreciate it. Bye now. You know, and, and give me a call, you know, once a month. I'm more than happy to have a chat up. Oh, fantastic. Well, then I, I won't have to rush through these. Okay. <laughs> really, thanks, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Bye now. Bye now. Wow, Nolan Bushnell. Did you hear what he said at the end there? Oh, my gosh. Nolan Bushnell on next month's show as well. And call me every... Stinky, you're out. What the... Let's open the lines, Keith. And it's Garthy Go! Oh, God. Uh, all right. What are you, 24 uh, today now, John? I would be 24, yes. Fantastic. How's, uh, now, 24-year-old gamer, it's a lot different than being a 23-year-old gamer? Uh, yeah, I hate everything I liked yesterday. And now you like spinach all of a sudden for some reason. Oh, I can't get <laughs> Just like, I, I'm like the spinach while Carcobain was the heroin, you know? Uh-huh. I just can't get enough. I just talked about him on uh, on a Wiggly World, but that's beside the point. Let's get to the games. What have you been playing lately? Uh, wrestling, wrestling games, wrestling games. Who yeah, ever heard of this? I don't know. They're new, I think, except that they're from years ago. Okay. This one I've been playing is WCW NWO Revenge for Nintendo sixty four. Sure. I like to and, call the WCW games on N sixty four the TNA match type idea machine. That's what I like to call it there. Uh, I mean, I, the thing I love about these games is the mechanics of them. They're very Japanese, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously made by AKI. And uh, the roster is pretty interesting. 
And uh, if there's any people listening who weren't necessarily wrestling fans back in 1998, there's still a lot of people like uh, on there like Savage and Hogan. Mm, right, and then you right. got like Chris Jericho, Rey Mysterio Jr., Eddie Guerrero, Fit Finley, and uh, along with Sting and Kurt Henning, Goldemar Dragon, and all of these uh, guys. So it's, it's very relevant still to the youth of today. <laughs> <laughs> well, WCW. Uh, I mean, they started even back on the uh, the NES. Uh, but uh, th- I remember the big big deal was in the states uh, was NW uh, was WCW versus the World, where they took Virtual Pro Wrestling. I think uh, I, I own the Japanese version, and when they when they brought it over, uh, they just you know put like Sting makeup on some of the guys. Yeah, there was um this is going to be specifically now for listeners in the UK and Ireland, but because uh, I'm sure he's not famous over there. But uh, if anyone knows who Freddie Starr is, he's like an old like club comedian from the 80s. He used to be on TV. Play WCW versus the World. Now this is not the one I'm talking about, but uh, and look at Ric Flair in there, and it's Freddie Starr. <laughs> it looks nothing like Ric Flair. There you go, Freddie Starr in in a PlayStation One game. Now, but yeah. the one that you're talking about is for the uh, N64. Yes. Okay. And, and uh, I mean, the grapple system in this game was really good because it's like the classic kind of fire pro where you have to kind of build up with your small moves mm-hmm. and then get ready to break out the finishers in the end. And it was all about the, you get the fighting spirit. And when you build up your fighting spirit, you can't be stopped. And, you know, someone hits you with a lariat, but you'll just no sell it and, you know, right, hold right, up, right. Yes. Yep, yep. But then all of them have the same type of chest bearing animation that happens. Yeah, it's like it's pretty funny when you've got like a female character on it, like on the later WWF ones, because sure. they're just like sticking their boobs up at you to stop you from hitting them, and it just looks kind of comical. Yeah, especially but, with those muddy square boobs that happened on the N sixty four. Yeah, I love the controls. I like the way they use the analog stick and you hit it to do your finishing move. I just really enjoyed that quite a lot, like you know. And um, but uh, I, I, the thing about the game is. You were saying about the Japanese guys, they are on there, mm-hmm. but under gimmicks that I'm assuming they used when they were in like Mexico or somewhere we've never seen, because you know, we get a Mitsuhara Misawa as AKI man, and we get Dr. Frank and Burkowski and Jekyll. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, who could forget Jekyll? <laughs> but uh, my favorite character in the game has to be the Disco Inferno. Oh, sure, sure. And it's great to be the in. fact that. The fact that you can play it as the Disco Inferno is just fantastic. Yeah. But uh, one thing I will say is the like season mode or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I just call it chasing the belt. Is the most boring mm. friggin' season mode ever. You just wrestle, 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 and I mean, there seems to be there's no end in sight. It's like a nightmare. You know, when you're trying to get somewhere in a nightmare and you can't. You, you <laughs> know, slow motion. Yeah, uh-huh. it's just like I could make a really obscure reference to the movie Contact, but I won't. But uh, there's oh, um, you mean slit sc- slit scan slit scan uh, slit scan? No, it's this bit the beginning of the movie where the girl is trying to rescue her father. Oh, okay. Oh, right, right. The reverse the mirror and the mirror. Yeah, yeah. The slows down really bad, and it's like being in a nightmare. So if you want, that, that's what the game's like. That's really obscure, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm not, I haven't got much to say to it, but it's just a really solid. If you can get some friends over, it's just such a solid game. And if you're like me and you watched wrestling throughout the 90s, you'll be nostalgic for the guys who were in it, you know? Sure, sure. You, know, you could play Juventud Guerrero before he went crazy. There you and, go. You know? Movie. Yeah. 
I was a bit disappointed Ralphus wasn't in it, but, you know. Oh, know. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Pally. Well, what else we got? Uh, Virtue Fighter 3 TB for Sega Dreamcast. Sure. The, t- yeah, the tuberculosis mean, edition. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Dying and pooping themselves. It's kind of hard to get this game. It's kind of hard to find it. Do you know how, like, you, here's the thing, okay? I bought my Dreamcast recently because a cousin of mine had a copy of Fire Pro D. Oh, okay. For it. And when I went up to buy it off him, he just pulled Virtue Fighter out of a box of games and went, huh, freebie. So <laughs> it really wasn't hard for me to find it all. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah I mean, I don't, I don't think it sold as well as what they were expecting. In the States um, is what I'm mostly speaking about here, so. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think about that? Was it better than the 32X version, or getting oh, your money back? Or? It's hard to say, like, you know. Yeah. I think it definitely is, though. It's such an intelligent fighting series. Uh-huh. Yeah. You, know, you have to really think about who you pick, and that's what I like about it, you know. Every fighter has their own strengths and weaknesses that you can, like, take advantage of, or, you know, whatever else. It makes them all special, you know. Sure, sure. There's no just characters that nobody picks. Everybody can find something in each character. And that's why there's uh, still a manageable roster as well. Now there's just, you know, too many. You don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, was, it was very deep back then. Each character was very deep. Now it's more, you know, like in the Tekken series where you just have this huge plethora of choices and you don't get to really find the nuances of each character as you, do, uh, as you did back then when it was still three yeah, well, my team actually, just if anyone's interested, is uh, Wolf Hawkfield, Akira, and Shundi. Oh, okay, and, uh, that's the winning combination there. Yeah, I, I used to play with those characters when I was like on Virtue Fighter One. They were my most frequent characters, so I just try to keep that going on. The team battle thing is actually quite fun if you can get like I usually like to put the strength guy out first and then put Shundi in and then have the finesse of Akira at the end so you can really think about it like strategically when you're going up against even the computer like you know so it's a very interesting title and if anyone can get their hands on it I'd recommend it like you know I want to recommend everyone to play this next game that I'm talking about because you can just you can get it from a website called uh, konjak.org that's uh, k-o-n-j-a-k dot org and it's called Legend of Princess and it's basically a 16-bit Legend of Zelda Part 2. So oh. like a side-scrolling Zelda. Oh, great. It is impeccable, this game is. I mean, first of all, it's a downloadable online game that you can play with a joypad, which I appreciate because I hate playing with a keyboard. Mm-hmm. But it's just so good. The graphics are so gorgeous, and it looks like it could have been on the Super Nintendo or the Genesis or the Turbo or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, the work this guy did is unbelievable. It's very short. It's like an hour, you get an hour of gameplay out of it, but it's free, you know. Sure, yeah. The music is great. The the bot, like your character, I guess you call him Link. He's just really well animated, and he'll make you laugh every time he runs and stuff because he's this really kind of goofy run. You, you're going through a dark temple, as it's called, and you battle Dark Link. And Gan- Ganondorf, mm. although they're not called that because it's not sure. it's not an official game. And then you battle uh, this really funny boss at the end. I think it's called like Arm Gonad. And you know the way in Zelda it'd say like um, you know giant Dodongo infernal dinosaur underneath it. Right, right. 
yeah, and this one says arm gun ad, massive armored boss with critical weak point. <laughs> so it, uh, uh-huh. it, you know, it hints out to you that you've, you know, and there's such a well thought out boss as oh, well. The physics of this game are unbelievable, and I def- everyone should definitely check it out if they can. I mean, you'll get. I'd say once you get the hang of it, you'll get an hour out of it. But I mean, I, I can't recommend it enough. Sure. Hey, free games. That's what it's all in. Legal free games. Yeah, this guy has other games now. I haven't checked them out, but I mean, I de- just check out that one. You won't be disappointed. Right on. The last game I have is uh, Rock Band Unplugged. Yeah, PSP. I gave this a go on the PSP. Yeah, I gave it a go. What you think of it? I thought this could be a real good game if I didn't have to keep switching instruments. Oh, okay. I kind of enjoyed the whole switching thing just because it reminded me of Clax. Remember the sure, Klax I remember Clax. Of course I remember Clax. What a silly question. Do I remember Clax? <laughs> of course I remember Clax. But uh, that's what it just reminded me of, and that's what, uh, what appealed to me about it. Like, you know, I, I found it quite fun. I, 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 like, I, the phrases are hard to get the hang of. Yeah. But um, once you get you spend an hour with it, you're, you're good, like, you know, and... It actually, I think, for some reason, I, I think I gave up too soon on it. That's what happened. Oh, okay. Clax but, uh, wave. By the way, <laughs> just managed to say that. Oh, okay. Well, if you, I spent a couple hours with it getting used to it, like you know, and uh, once I did, I really started to enjoy it. And uh, for some reason, it reminded me a lot of old Game Boy titles for the simple reason that they adapted the game to the system, not the system to the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas on your DS, you have to hook up some kind of harness or something. <laughs> right, right, right. Gotcha. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, it's just this one, you know, you don't need to do anything kind of weird or goofy. You can just play straight out the box. And, like, there's a good selection of stuff on there, you know? I mean... Oh, I had no problem with the presentation. I had no problem with the song choices. It was just switching between the four instruments tracks that, that got a little... Uh, it's a little rough uh, to me. The weird thing is, and this is just a personal note, it was uh, it reminded me a lot of an old Game Boy game in one way because when I woke up the next day, I just really wanted to play it. Hmm. And uh, I was sitting there not getting dressed quick enough because I kept on just playing it, <laughs> sitting on the end of the bed. And I haven't done that since like I rented Beetlejuice for the Game Boy back in 1994 or whatever. Okay. I give it a no thumbs, and you give it a two thumbs. Uh, two or one and a half. <coughs> one and a half thumb thumpers. But uh, just two other games I played recently, and I haven't didn't get really in depth with them. Uh, one was UFC for Xbox. Right, right. I do, I do recommend that a lot. It's it's what you want. It's deep and and reminded me a lot in that respect of SNK fighters and stuff like that. Hmm. hmm wow. Well, Player Uno gave it a thumbs up as well, and and uh, I've I've seen a lot of people on Xbox Live playing it a lot more lately. So. Seems to be catching on. Seems to be something to it. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'd, I'd, I'd really say check it out. Like you know, it's really fun. What else you got? Uh, <laughs> the last game I played was probably the worst game I've ever played, huh. and I just I got a friend along with this just specifically to see if it was as bad as I thought it was going to be, and that was the video game adaptation of Beverly Hills Cop. What? And, what system was this for? Oh, it's for PlayStation Two. <laughs> oh, okay. And, oh, now, you remember Eddie Murphy was um, Axel Foley, right? Right, yeah. Axel Grease. Yeah. Axel F- Foley. Yeah. Mick Foley. The, apparently, the, the game developers didn't remember this because um, you're basically a Caucasian gentleman in this oh, game. Of course. 
And uh, it, yeah, that, that's your first clue. And apparently he's Axel. But the best part about it is wow. it says you can quip like Axel. And by that they meant when you come to a spec- uh, like a specified spot in the game, a little piece of text comes up that has an emphasized pun word in it. And uh, it's a first person shooter. And I couldn't get past the first uh, obstacle because every time I try to walk or sh- shoot uh, the enemies, they just yelled intruder at me through text. And I got cut to a picture of Axel on his knees with his head in his hands crying because he wasn't able to stealth around because the game is terrible. Oh, the new the new white uh, the new white Axel was uh, yeah, d- in a sense. Do, do you know what? He's not actually uh, white in the in that screenshot. Oh. That's a strange thing. <laughs> but in the game, wow. He is white. That's something. And That's apparently you res- you're rescuing Judge Reinhold, but I didn't get that far nor do I really care. Yeah. All right, man. That sounds that sounds fascinating. I never heard of that, so that's great. It's right up there with Crazy Frog Racing from the uh, horse Crazy Frog from the the cell phone uh, fame. Yeah, yeah. Well, that game is probably better than this. Okay. All right, if man. Anyone, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say they also made a Top Gun game, so if you want to go play that, be my guest. Is that new? <laughs> yeah, oh. it just came out like two years ago or something. Wow. Fantastic. Hey, what do I know about games? Hey, thanks for calling in. Talk to you next month. Uh, stay on the line for the, the panel, rather. Okay. Bye. That's it. John E. Capcom. What? Uh, I still have to read these for co-hosts. John E. Aren't you glad I didn't say Banana Capcom? All right, Keith. This is the time. Let's, let's take it down a little bit. Let's calm ourselves down. No yelling. No yelling during the segments. Keith, let's open it up. Ralph Bear, get him on the line now. Joining us on We Talk Games, the inventor of the video game console, the first peripherals for a video game, uh, the inventor of, the, of a cartridge-based system, um, the first electronic rhythm toy, and, and much, much more. It's, it's an honor, a privilege to have Ralph Bear on We Talk Games. Welcome to the show, Ralph. That's my pleasure. Ralph, 1972, Magnavox released Odyssey, which was the first home game console available five years before the Atari VCS, ten years before the Commodore 64. But when did this idea first start? Well, there's a debate about that in my own mind, because back in 51, when I worked for L'Oreal, which was a very small company then, pretty big today, uh, I was hired to and actually built a television set from scratch with another guy. Two of us spent a year in a screen room building a TV set from scratch. And the reason why I was hired to do that was because I have a degree in television engineering. I got after uh, uh, after the war, so, well, well, the two was over, and I came back home and took advantage of the GI Bill of Rights and became a, got a DBS in TV engineering. During that uh, period of a year, while we were building a television set, we used a piece of equipment that allowed us to put patterns on the screen, move them around. Those of you who are old enough to remember that television sets had a bunch of controls out front for doing things like uh, adjusting linearity, horizontal width, vertical height, uh, contrast, brightness, on and on. I know that uh, you had to have some piece of equipment at the factory, at least, to make all these adjustments to begin with. And we're looking at the, the ability of uh, 
of a person to move stuff around the screen, like these patterns and color bands. It caused me to ask the chief engineer, who was my boss at the time, uh, to think about maybe building something like uh, a generator that puts patterns you could uh, manipulate on the screen into a television set. Of course, the reaction was, uh, you know, forget it. You know, you're already behind schedule, so forget it. Um, if you ignore that bit, the next significant event in the saga was uh, July 31st, 1966. I'm in New York. I'm sitting on the steps of uh, uh, a bus terminal. I'm waiting for another guy from Sanders Associates, who I worked, uh, to come in so we can go to a client. And the idea resurfaced of doing something interactive with a television set. I'm sure I didn't use the term interactive. I don't know when that term came into into use. It's very hard to pin down just uh, when these various terms came into use. In any event, I made some notes. Next morning, back in the office in Manchester, New Hampshire, where I was running a division of some 500 engineers and Texas support people, I wrote a four-page paper on September 1st, 66. And anybody who wants to read it, go to the Smithsonian website and put in uh, uh, Ralph Bayer, uh, Smithsonian, Ralph Bayer, and Apple Tom, pages and pages of archival material. They scanned all the stuff I gave them for some 500 documents. Yeah, I, I read it, and it definitely first coined the term player, like as player one, player two. Uh, without that, we might have been called contestants or uh, uh, time waster one, time waster two. So there's a there's a lot of stuff in there that really yeah. maintained in the industry. Well, well, I wouldn't call take. Oops, excuse me. Sure. Considering gaming as a waste of time, uh, uh, I think is an unfair uh, assessment. I mean, we've been, humanity has been playing games, uh, I'm sure, since before they even spoke. Right. That's true, that's true. Most people think of playing video games as, you know, usually good memories. But I think we go through all the memories. I think it's good memories, bad memories. Sometimes it is wasting time. Sometimes it's it's getting away from reality. Sometimes it's, it brings out oh. more appreciation for reality. Uh, yes, it was made as a joke, but... Uh, okay. <laughs> well, even, uh, it's, of course, it's all those things. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, that's all those things. The same sense, uh, some games are horrible. Uh, some games are great. Some games are socially destructive. Some games are wonderful narratives. Uh, uh, and there's no difference between games or other forms of intellectual activity, uh, including books, music. Are all forms of art. Sure, you know, sure. So you games are a form of art. Nobody can argue with that, except a complete idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there have been those complete idiots. Uh, now, yeah, especially in government. Oh, okay. Very good. Yeah. Well, that's another show, I think. Um, and one thing I like to bring up on uh, the We Talk Game Show is we have, you know, we have a pretty amazing audience out there, uh, very dedicated, very knowledgeable. And one thing I constantly like to stress and bring up is the fact that you know the first video game console this mag this uh, magnavox odyssey was a cartridge based system you know a lot of people um, have an old pong or or, some, or even the odyssey tennis version um, in the garage somewhere they don't realize that it had these removable circuit boards and it was a cartridge based system basically well we had more than that if you go back for uh, five years to 67 by the end 
of 67, we were playing ping pong, handball, volleyball, playing chase team, we were shooting at the screen with light guns. I had a, a, a joystick on, on top of which was a golf ball, which you put on the floor and whacked with a real putter and moved one spot uh, representing the ball across the screen in a pretty realistic fashion. Uh, hopefully to, towards uh, another spot, which was a hole, of course, with an overlay defining uh, the, the surroundings, the grass, the hole, the flag, and all the other things that are part of a, of a normal golf scene. And think about it. Uh, this is 67. We had joysticks. We had light guns. We, yeah, we had multiple game capability. And as you said, uh, uh, in 72, the Magnavox Odyssey machine uh, made use of uh, plug-in cards to go from game to game. Uh, I don't take credit for that concept. My machine, the brown box, had a bunch of switches on it to go from game to game. Okay. Someone at Magnavox, and we still don't know who it was, uh, came up with that alternative. Of course, it was picked up in later years. First, I think, by Fairchild mm -hmm. uh, F8 machine, right, which had a cartridge that looked like an 8-track cartridge, which everybody thought it was, right? Because yeah, yeah. nobody had ever heard of ROM cartridges. You know, what so ROM? Yeah, yeah. One of the things in that context I like to approach is the relationship between the development of video game hardware and software and uh, electronic technology in general. Because uh, at any one time in history, those of us who build hardware and do software are constrained by what we have to work with, the tools we have to work with. Yeah, And guess what? In 1966, 67, when we built this stuff, there was no such thing as a microprocessor. Sure. There were early integrated circuits which had a few flip-ups on registers and yeah, counters now, and they were bugs and they cost too much money so they weren't an option for us in 1966 they were in 1972 when Magnavox put out the Odyssey uh, if you look inside the Odyssey you see the old technology that we put into the brown box inside why? well I mean it took us until 69 to find a licensee Magnavox it took the lawyers two years to screw around and finally come up with mutually agreeable contracts and the engineers had all of one year to get a, get, get a console into production. So what did they do? They copied what we had almost identically. Right? So here we had an obsolete technology and a brand new machine because that's conditions on the real conditions under which everybody operated. Yeah, that's that's where business comes in and, and messes up with uh, innovation, I guess. Exactly. Everybody thinks that when we talk about video games, we're talking about computer games not so I mean, it was really made for talking about digital circuitry yes but we're not talking about computers because computers are different altogether they have a central processor they have local memory in which things are stored and that was not the case with the early games the early games like the odyssey games have digital circuitry in it for example the ball spot which moves back and forth between paddles, is moved by a flip-flop. A flip-flop is as digital circuit as you can get, right? Right, right, when, on or off. When to discover whether or not the ball is being uh, uh, intercepted by a paddle, you need a coincidence detection. It turns out to be a, a dual diode AND gate, right? Or an AND gate. That's a digital circuit. On and on it goes. There's no analog circuitry. Right, right. Speak of in the old machines. 
and some protagonists uh, have infiltrated into their cranium certain mis- pieces of misinformation keep harping on the fact that the old games like the Magnus games were analog. Total nonsense. People can't distinguish between digital circuits, pulse circuits, and analog circuits because they know nothing about circuits, period. Right? But how, how did you even get that idea for like a hit detection uh, like you're speaking of? I mean, you're, you're working with, uh, uh, you know, these these potential. I'm not even sure if they're potentiometers, but these, uh, I mean, I know Ohm's Law, but that's about it. How did you think about how it's going to really do that flip-flop and, and make well, it? Like I remember the process was progressive. The first thing we put on the screen was a single spot, moved it around. Right? Yeah. Then, then we took a chance and figured out how to do color in the background, real cheap, which didn't survive, by the way, in the artist, too much like money. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we said, well, if we got one spot, let's shoot at it. Yeah, when we uh, lined up properly, the spot disappears, and you push a button, it reappears. Then we said, well, if we got one spot, we show, show us how it can put two spots up there. What do we do with two spots? All right, we put an overlay on the on the screen, make it look like it's uh, checkerboard, right? And we create new rules and move two spots around and have a checkerboard game. When that gets pretty boring, pretty quick, we say, what else can we do? Ah, we have one spot chase the other, right? Now that gets very pretty interesting when you catch up with the other guy the spot disappears right yep. and you push a button reappears and you chase around using knobs for horizontal vertical positioning was kind of unsatisfactory so bingo the uh, the joystick was born right which made it much easier to chase one guy uh, for the other guy to disappear when we had that we said well let's put three spots up among the chase chase spots and call it uh, hounds and hounds and uh and, and fox type chase uh-huh, uh-huh. so one guy's moving three spots simultaneously on the screen while the other guy who's spot is, is the color red because of course fox is red right uh, is trying to get away from the hounds and now we have a the next thing is we look at it and we had a third guy with us the rush who was an mit graduate and pretty damn good at circuitry very creative as well we if we have two spots we can make them into paddles and another spot can become a ball. It was as simple as that. Uh, I see. Within a, a couple of weeks, we had a ball game going. In fact, by November of 67, we were playing ping pong and handball, and I had invited uh, the VP at uh, Teleprompter in New York to come up and look at what we were doing and to consider uh, putting games on um, the cable, which was nascent then and very small, like 100,000 subscribers in New York and maybe another 100,000 in uh, San Francisco or in L.A. One of the VPs from Teleprompter, one of the guys who designed the Teleprompter. And he was so impressed that he had the president of Teleprompter come up. Both of them were lucky enough to come up in the middle of horrendous snow storm. You know, we're in New Hampshire. Sure, sure. We had the winters in those days. Um, and they decided, hey, this is great. The object was this. We can't put good symbology on the screen. Our backgrounds are nothing. They're either a white screen or if you want to spend the money on some fairly complex, expensive circuitry, including an expensive crystal at the chroma frequency, we can't put color up. What we can do is point a camera at a nice, colorful picture, right? ship it over the cable, 
view it on a television screen and arrange our game spots such that they are synchronized to what's up on the screen there and overlay uh, you know, an overlay on that background. Mm-hmm. Now we can put Wimbledon up there and play tennis in Wimbledon. Huh? And they, uh, the teleprompter people said immediately, we started to negotiate a contract. I was down in New York a good part of the time doing the technical part, and they ran out of money. That was the end of that. Wow. So we, we, we almost had, instead of... Uh, we almost had cable house, games going. That is Think amazing. about it, 30 years before we started doing cable games over, yeah, through the web. Truly amazing. Did you ever yeah. think about using vinyl records as a storage medium, like uh, CED systems or anything like that? Uh, no, not a vinyl records because it's much too low, low, uh, low data rates capable, you know, limited to... 670 kilohertz. I know, but the time we were working on stuff, uh, VCRs were already available. Oh, okay. I, I spent the better part of the late 60s and mid through the mid-70s integrating uh, video games with uh, with VCRs and later uh, analog video discs and after that um, it, uh, CDs, uh, DVDs. It really worked, right? It's only when the DVD became really a digital medium I downloaded stuff into a computer that became practical. Yeah, yeah. Relatively recently, compared to your career, you were inducted, given the National Medal of Technology by uh, George W. Yeah, that uh, was, uh, was quite an honor. Uh, that technology award is made once a year. So it's both a science medal and a technology medal. I was one of three guys who got the technology medal in 2006. It's just about as good as it gets because that's roughly the equivalent of a uh, uh, Nobel Prize in technology. So, Ralph, I, I, I guess your entire... Now, you started in electronics when you were 16 years of age, and I guess your entire career has been turning concepts into reality, putting the pieces in place to make that happen. Yeah, and I don't want to make too big a deal of it, as I just said earlier. You know, uh, if you're natively blessed with being creative, uh, whether that's uh, writing music or, or playing music, or whether it's painting or, or any other art, or whether it's engineering, all the same, you know, it's, that's, you're damn lucky to be that way. Huh? You can't take credit for it. Uh, you take, uh, you take it... Uh, and uh, enjoy it and make use of it. I guess there is no single point of creation. I think that, uh, you know, things progress. It's all a series of, uh, of, of happenings that, that culminate or put together or put in different directions. And uh, Well, that's it's called experience, right? Sure, sure. Experience plays into knowing what to do with what you have. But as you were uh, mentioning before, the, the Pong was not, was not just a, a single point of invention. It was a process. And I think it's very important that people know the players in this process, and that's why I'm glad that your name is getting out there now more and more in books and in movies and documentaries and such. Uh, because I'm, I'm very reminded of the fact that in 1943, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld Nikola Tesla's patent for the radio. and But still to this day, we're taught that Marconi invented the radio. I think of you along the same lines as a Nikola Tesla. A lot of people didn't really know that Tesla was responsible for things that we use every day. And certainly everyone in the gaming community used something that you had your hand on at one time uh, every day. 
Well, I mean, that's a, I think it's a problem for historians to correct. Can't, you can't really do it in life unless you get real lucky. And I consider having a, I had uh, the President of the United States hanging a medal around my neck as being very lucky in that respect. And, uh, uh, and part of it uh, also depends on whether or not you recognize that uh, you've done something that really should be in the public domain and you donate your, pa- your papers, your hardware, and all this good stuff that relates to that activity the proper places, like all my hardware, all my uh, documents are the Smithsonian and replicas of the hardware are all over the world. I just came back from Germany on Sunday and I was in Berlin, I was in Cologne, where I lived for 14 years, and everywhere I go there are museums to whom I've contributed to replicas of functional replicas of the brown box. In addition to the brown box, which became the Odyssey One, you also created Simon. People still can purchase this today. How did this come about? Well, uh, in the middle 70s, I was getting tired of running a large organization. Uh, apart from the fact that when you run a large organization, uh, most of the time you, uh, you you deal with people problems. You get away from the technology, you become obsolete, and uh, a natural-born engineer doesn't feel comfortable in that environment. So uh, they made, made me the first uh, engineering fellow at Sanders Associates at the time, made a Lockheed company, which was better because I now could pursue more R&D work and and tutor more of the, uh, the engineering uh, rank and file, which was better. That wasn't good enough because I really wanted to build stuff. So I figured I'd like to build toys and games. I started to do it on my own. wasn't very successful. I found out about uh, a company called Marvin Glass and Associates, which uh, who were the uh, largest toy and game designers, independent toy and game designers in the country at the time in Chicago. Uh, make a long story short, I got on their team. I was the outside electronics capability for the better part of 10 years. And one of the very first things we did was uh, a whole string of single-chip microprocessor games, of which the very first one was Simon. Wow. Hit it right off the bat. Yeah, right off the bat. Uh, it wasn't the first microprocessor uh, application I handled. That's when I first came to the company. Uh, they wanted me to do a remote controllable uh, record player that could recognize bands and lands. So you could say, I want to play band one, three, and five. Or if your wife said, hey, I like this um, this piece, I play it. And you could push a button and the needle would pick up, right? Move back and play the same thing again. And for that, uh, that project, uh, we needed a microprocessor. And the TMS 1000, a four bit processor with 1K of four bit memory was available then from Texas Instrument, and it was inexpensive enough to be uh, used in things like electronic toys and games. So we used it in Simon. After Simon came Mania, Computer Perfection, several, several others, all of whom which, all of which used uh, that same uh, microprocessor chip. Right on. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, I might mention that uh, programming those chips was a real joy. When you think of the program today, you get a vision of sitting back next to your computer and next to your laptop, right? Yeah. And plugged into it is a little emulator system, and you're writing code, and you push a button, and the thing runs, and you see what's wrong, and you write some more code, and you push a button, and it corrects the error in the code, and the thing works. 
Well, in those days, all we had was a paper tape mechanism on which to store data and a telephone with which to uh, talk to a computer somewhere in Pennsylvania, which TI had their program for that chip resident. And uh, so at the end of each month, my telephone bill would look like the national debt. <laughs> and of course, all, all this back and forth took place at about 120 board a second, which is roughly 120 bits, never mind bytes, yeah. bits a second, took forever. And, and you actually had to burn the chips then, I guess, as well, right? Yeah, well, yeah, they had, uh, uh, there were TMS-1000 versions that had, ex- uh, uh, had uh, output, uh, I.O. lines, input output lines that could support an external uh, ROM. So that was already in place at the time. Anything else that you want to leave the people with? Actually, you know, for the next 25 years, I've built those games. I still do on occasion. I run a program on a little micro on on a PC for these games. Also did a, uh, uh, with another fellow, uh, one third my age, one third, one fourth, (laughs) uh, in California, a device that was related to DDR and had Dance Dance Revolution. I can't can't describe it, which was taken up by by Logitech and uh, they spent quite a bit of money on developing it, but I did a poor job of romancing Konami, and as a result of that, it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. I have no complaints because I uh, made quite a bit of money. So, so I'm, yeah, I'm still cranking. And I'm still in demand, uh, which I must cut down because it's getting too hard to run around the world and make short speeches. On Wednesday night at midnight, I was on the stage in the city of Cologne, Germany, at a uh, game developers conference with about 250, 300 people in the room. Uh, and I had the honor of introducing uh, Alexei Pajanov, the guy who did uh, uh, Tetris, sure. and hand him an award. Uh, it was kind of late. It was midnight. <laughs> midnight. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well past my bedtime. And the, uh, the next day I was in Permalis, the town I was born in, southwest of Germany, at a museum where I donated uh, an old Simon, a brown box that's in daily use by hundreds of kids to come through in school groups. And uh, three weeks from now, I'm going to be in Leipzig, Germany, at the online games convention, which will be a very big deal. Wow. Uh, and a couple of days before, I'll be in Berlin at the Berlin Game Museum. We uh, I've been working with them for about a year on a timeline, interactive timeline, which you can access through the web, and which has uh, you know pull down pictures, the movies that describes uh, the genesis of video game history, and we will introduce that to the public uh, next three, on the 29th of this month. In the presence of all the government people. Thank you, Ralph Baer. Have fun on your return trip to Germany. You definitely deserve the recognition. It's been a privilege to have you on our show. Thank you again for being on We Talk Games. You're entirely welcome, if that's it. Uh, wish you lots of luck and lots of success. Lots of good music. Thank you very much, Thank you, Ralph. You. Bye-bye. Bye now. Wow. 
Wow. And I got to tell you, there, there's a lot of footage that, that had to be cut out. We were talking about uh, his early days in, in audio and the type of audio I do. And when I used to fix speakers at the drive-in movies. And and plus, trying to get our Dick Tracy two-way wrist televisions to work. That was another uh, stumbling block. But Ralph insisted on video conferencing, and that's what he got. He also gave Kyle a lot of poop. Poop talk, you see, uh, for not having a $25 video camera hooked up to his Skype. So, Ralph Bear, I, I wish him many, many, many more years. And he's still creating things. He's still got stuff cooking in his computers, different types of, uh, of secret projects that he's not uh, allowed to divulge. He also aspires to be on a postage stamp. And who deserves it more than the good old Ralph Bear? But what a pleasure. And and speaking about pleasure, let's get a new correspondent on the line. This is amazing. Open it up, Keith. Charlotte, North Carolina, go! You're on. Can so, you hear me? What? What was that? Can you hear me? Yeah, I just got, I almost feel like I have like sort of an echo. Oh, echo. Oh, I'm sorry. It's probably our transatlantic uh, connection here. There we go. How about that? Yeah. Better one, bit. better two. <laughs> I feel like I'm at the eye doctor. Now, before anyone gets the idea that I'm talking to like an 11-year-old boy that listens to our show, you are Heather Sanchez of GameGirl.com. Yes, I might be. I might also be an imposter. You'll never know. This is true. This is true. <laughs> that, that could happen. I wouldn't put that past any of our listeners. However, I know that you don't listen to the show, so therefore I know that I can reasonably deduce that you are most likely not an imposter. Probably not. No. Okay. And what else do you have? You also have your other uh, shows going on there. Um, yeah, I got, I got a lot of stuff going on. I'm just a staff writer for GameGirl.com, okay. um, which is part of GamePro magazine. I uh, recently started doing PR for the StartScreen.com, and I also co-host a podcast on the 10K.com called Control This, and it's all female. Fantastic. And that's what our show is, uh, not. But now we are one female, so how do you like them apples? It's good. It's good to have some balance. Great stuff. Everybody listen. What you been playing lately? iPhone Go. I, I'm addicted to my iPhone. Like, I, I ask myself the question, is this a great handheld or is it the greatest handheld? Because uh-huh. it's, it's all in one. I, I guess as long as you don't try to play Assassin's Creed, you're all right. Yeah, yeah. Which I gotta tell you, compared to the to the uh, Nintendo DS version, I didn't mind it yeah. so much. Yeah, definitely a lot better than the DS. And I find myself like even looking at my DS, going, "Why? Why do I even have you?" Oh, the only Pokemon. It's the only reason. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and and if anyone goes and looks into you, you're a big Pokemon sort of brought you to a lot of the love for the games, I guess. Yeah, I definitely did. <laughs> well, what is the must-have now for your iPhone? What have you been playing mostly lately? I am absolutely addicted to this game. It's called Must Eat Birds by Mediatonic. Okay. Um, it's 99 cents, and it's more of a casual game. Um, it has about eight missions, but it, it's extremely addictive and challenging. And what, um, what's the interface like? It's not landscape. It's just you play it holding your phone. You have a little nomster who looks like a furry little meatball, and he's attached to a slingshot. And basically, you've got four slices of delicious cake that you have to guard from parachuting birds. This happened to me the other day. Exactly. So you have to, like, slingshot your nomster 
This is what he's called, a nomster. Okay. Um, it's not a speech impediment. It's actually the name of the character, nomster. Yes. Okay. Because he likes to nom. Oh. Um, it, it sounds really simple, but it's not because the missions get increasingly harder. At first, you're just trying to see if you can eat, you know, let's say 50 birds. But there's a, a multiplier that you have to take advantage of, which is achieved by consecutively eating 25 birds without wasting a nomster. And as the missions go on, you're only given a set amount of nomsters, but you have to eat so many birds. So in order to achieve this, you have to figure out how to eat multiple birds with one nomster. So it gets very difficult, and it's one of those games that you get so aggravated, but you're like, no, I have to keep, I have to keep playing. I have to eat these birds. Right on, right on. Yeah, well, it sounds great. delicious. It, it is. And cake full. Now, do you get to eat the cake if you guard it enough or no? No. That no, no one he, talks about that. No, nobody talks about what the nomster does with his cake. Okay, very good. Well, that's, but, uh, that's delightful. Yeah, 99 it's, it's cents. A, it's only 99 cents. And I've actually um, gotten more than 99 cents worth, I think. Um, it's got the eight missions, but it has a challenge mode where you can basically just free to play and... Nom, I guess. Um, it's very over the top. The graphics are very um, Asian or kawaii, as you would say. I would um, say that. Yeah, it's very cute. It's it's very over the top, and it's a lot of fun. Well, that's great. And, you know, I think it's very important. I don't know if you know the statistics, but it's like 98.9 zillion percent of the games and apps that you download from iTunes, you do you play or use the first time that you download them and then you never go back to them. So I think it's important that you get your money's worth even at the first time. And this sounds like that guy has that all covered. It, it definitely does. What else you got? Um... I've been playing a lot of Guitar Hero Smash Hits on the PlayStation 3. Okay. Oh, now you um, like the PlayStation 3. That's that's one of the reasons we, we brought you in. Well, probably the main driving force for contacting you was to get some PS3 coverage here. Yeah, there there hasn't been many exclusives out um, as of recently, but uh, as, uh, as the time goes on, uh, there definitely will be. Um, I play... Almost all of my games on the PlayStation 3, to be honest. Okay. I love the system. I, I love do everything too. about it. I like it. Um, yeah. Um, so, for me, because I'm a big PlayStation 3 user, um, I don't have access to Guitar Hero 1, 2, Rock the 80s. You know, mine's not backwards compatible. I, I don't have these uh. games for the PS2. So, a lot of the game consists of is older tracks from your favorite titles in the series, but you can play it with the full band. So you can invite your friends over and play stuff off of Guitar Hero 2, Monkey Wrench, and all those, you know, classics. Gotcha, um, gotcha. Yeah, definitely, though, it is a lot more difficult than what we saw with World Tour. With World Tour, um, hard wasn't really hard, and a lot of people were were able to play it. Now, this, this plays a lot more like Guitar Hero 3. I, I found myself a little... Uh, Needing a little practice, we'll say. But uh, it's definitely challenging, and it's fun. That's good. I enjoyed and it. How much does this rock you? It, it's definitely full price. That's that's the only uh, downside. It's fifty nine ninety nine. Okay. But you get all these tracks. You get to play it with the band. You get to use your world tour set. Um, and a lot of people don't actually have these tracks or have been able to have them. So it's still all new. And a lot of them aren't 
or have not been released for downloadable content. So oh, that's good. That's good. Makes it worth it. So yeah, then we had the we had the uh, must eat birds, which was a sim uh, style games. Smash hits for for Guitar Hero. That's also a simulator of sorts, where you actually pretend you're a band with, uh, and instead of having an air guitar, you have actual pieces of plastic. Now another Sims title. I know the Sims Three for PC and Mac. I, I don't even know what to say about this game. It's so good, especially if you're a fan of the franchise. This is everything you know and love, but so much better. The graphics are great, and the living neighborhood feature is what makes this game. Um, I'm not sure if you know anything about that feature, nope. but it, it's insane. Um, basically, the AI in this game has gotten so smart that your Sims can almost be completely independent. You give them traits and completely set up their personalities and then you set them off in this world to see how they interact with each other and their community. You don't need to go to a community lot anymore in these games. You can just walk across the street and ring your neighbor's doorbell. Um, It's that simple. Hmm. Basically, the AI has gotten so smart that the, the story progresses even when you're not playing. So the Sims interact with one another and continue the storyline even when you're away from the game. Wow. Um, you, you can turn this feature off, but it's definitely cool to come back to the game and see what has all happened in your neighborhood and how people have gotten along and how certain Sims with certain uh, personality traits interact with other Sims that you've built. So it's really cool. And it kind of brings a different aspect to the game because most of the game before was you were almost playing God and you were, you know, making these characters do different things and walk around, but now you can sit back and almost watch what you've created play into action without all the hard work. Well, that's something I'm re- I really like to do is, uh, you know, anything that has any level of uh, creation to it, especially I, I often talk about Fire Pro Six Man Scramble. <laughs> that might be a wrestling game that you've not really played a lot on the Sega Saturn. However, uh, that had such complicated and intricate design to creating your character, such as your your breathing during bloodshed and things like this that you would yes. you would create these characters and then you let them go at it and this sounds like they've they've really uh ramped it up here in the sims and a lot of times especially me i know uh, i get turned off when we get one two three four i'm like why should i go back to this franchise i, I played played the first one uh maybe i gave the second one a rent or something but now you're saying this is really this is a, a whole new sims experience it definitely is. It's it's just so far ahead of what the the past two games have been that it's it's completely worth it. Wow, amazing! And and now, uh, what about the, the the DS version of uh, Sims? Let's see. The DS version is exactly like the iPhone version, oh, okay. and the the character creation is um, really watered down. Mm. Um, it's not bad by any means. You just don't have quite as many options, um, and you're given only a set amount of things to work with. But the interaction is still there, and the AI is still mostly. I mean, your neighborhood's not quite as big. There's not quite as much to do, but the graphics still really look good for the DS and the iPhone, but the the interaction is still there. It's okay. just a smaller version of really of the game. All right. Well, now, and this Sims 3, you mentioned about how incredibly, yeah, I think that we have a thread in our message board that uh, Kyle was inspired from an article that you had written about, about someone actually keeping a blog, watching some homeless people in their Sims neighborhood or something of this nature. 
I was so inspired by that article. Like I wanted to go and do exactly what this this student had done. He basically created these two Sims with these very differing personality traits, and he made a a father and a daughter, and he made them homeless and threw them into the neighborhood and did as little to no interaction with them as he could. So basically, he just sits back and watches how they interact with one another, and it's really amazing because it's just like a story that plays out, and he had no idea going into it that it was going to turn out to be like this. But it's actually kind of pitiful, and you, as he um, goes on in his blogs, you grow kind of close to these characters, and you're just like, wow, this is almost like watching a television show. Yeah, yeah. It's better than TV. Heather, well, you got anything else? That's it. That's it. It's been a delight. Thanks for joining us. I hope you join us next month, and uh, keep us up to speed on the PS3 and other things like that there i will thank you for having me bye <laughs> heather sanchez heather sanchez great to have her on board check out all the things she's involved with from the links in our show notes uh let's let's open it up to the council now then we're going to have on eric alex eric alex is going to return and we'll also wrap it up with our final guest john sellers john sellers to help us cope with all this goodness that we've been exposed to today we all right, let's open it up to the panel. Here we go. Uh, on the line, we have Kyle Von Kubik. Are you still there, Kyle? I am here. Hello. Okay, good. And also, John E. Capcoms. Yes, sir. Here it is, the, the debut. We finally have a name for our committee here. And I'm anxiously awaiting to hear this name. It's come down from the head office. We are now known as the International Panel of Video Game Millionaires. <laughs> okay. Uh, unfortunately, none of us are uh, millionaires, but uh, we didn't have time to get any of them together to do this. So it is up to the International Panel of Video Game Millionaires and the two questions posed to the panel uh, for this month of We Talk Games. Number one, the first question is uh, to name your most dreadful uh, game box art and the best game box art, your favorite game box art. <laughs> I don't have any favorites. I just have. Did you know about that last question? Yeah. No. Yeah. Evidently, it's on there. (laughs) I just. Well, I got to tell you, I don't have any questions written down. And as a matter of fact, I don't even understand the second question. But nonetheless, we will push forward. So, if no one has second question, quote unquote, is more of a topic. Well, these questions. These are all topics. Yes. I guess it's, you know, whatever sticks in your mind that you remember not being half bad or that you looked at it and you thought, because who really stares at the front of the box and says, ooh, I'm going to play this? Usually you get excited by the the screenshots on the back. Right. I I think um, that's why a lot of the uh, poop stands out more. It might be a better discussion of, of, you know, bad box art. Well, we'll do both, because I have okay. some good ones uh, ready. Uh, examples of good box art, and and, uh, and uh, so if, if I'm the only one that gets to do that, that's fine, but uh, this is to the International Panel of Video Game Millionaires. People expect a quality, high-produce segment. They're going to get it. So who's going to go first? Uh, I don't mind. Alright, oh. go right ahead, John. 
Oh, I just said I don't mind. I didn't want the. Oh, you don't mind who over. goes first? Okay. Yeah. Now, John, I got to ask you uh, because I didn't ask you earlier or later. Whenever I do your uh, personal interview, why aren't you bringing out all your favorite games as the Armstrad sixty-five and the things like this that I expect out of the UK? Uh, well, because I was like one when they all came out. Ah, okay, very good. <laughs> I skipped that generation, like. Uh, completely. The Commodore 64 was the closest I got to it. Okay, but, well, uh, that's sort of, we already, we we have that in the States. That's no good. Yeah, I got some Amstrad games here, actually. Don't you like got the a, Amiga or something, or something? At least a little I never more had an Amiga. Okay. I've got Batman here for Atari, or no, sorry, for Amstrad CPC 464, 664, and 8128. Now that <laughs> is what we demand to hear. That's what we want to hear. Yeah, now that's some UK coverage. It's, it's got four different screenshots from four different formats on the back, <laughs> and it's a cassette tape. <laughs> wow, fantastic! And, uh, Did that have good box art for the Batman? Uh, a pretty nice one. It was like that kind of typical of the '80s Batman from the comics and stuff. You know? Okay, okay. But I've got one here that might actually interest you if I can find it. I got Star Wars, which is also for the. 464 and 664 and whatever else. But I've got one here that's a really kind of odd one from Codemasters and it's called Rockstar Ate My Hamster and it's got like a caricature of uh, Michael Jackson on the front of it. Wow. So, it's, so it's topical. Yeah, it is topical. But, uh, it's timely. That's good. Right. Well, let's get right into the Pooh box art. Now, you will notice if you haven't downloaded it already, right hidden in the RSS feed, right behind this episode, is a PDF file. Now, don't peek ahead. This this is an original We Talk Games little long-playing record and book series gimmick. You will know it is time to click on the next PDF set of pages when T.T. Schmootkins rings her little bell like this. All right. Let's start off with Kyle Von Kubik because I know that you will probably blow most of the poos that we all have and then we could just chime in. Oh, thank you so very much for giving me the honor to do Mega this. Mega Man right. for the NES. Let, let's start it off right away. Go ahead. Mega Man 1 for the <laughs> NES. Who who does not love, at this point, this box art? I mean, yeah. this is the worst of the worst. We have a polio-stricken Mega Man oh. holding some sort of pistol or something, yeah. and he's in a horribly rendered background. It's just, it's awful. He's in Despite a pinball the, table or something. It's yeah, it kind of does look like here. a pinball table. Um... You know, I just, I love the box. I'm actually looking at it right now. It it says state-of-the-art, high-resolution graphics right away. It's a miracle (laughs) that this game, like, got over in the U.S. Well, you know, uh, Capcom had a lot of those problems. I mean, there were very, uh, there there were some good Capcom arts, you know, they got in, like, with the licenses and stuff like that. But, uh, but, but even, even still, like, Strider was horrible for the NES. It wasn't just Capcom, but anything that had to do with cute anime-style things when it brought yeah, it to the States, just, like Bomberman and things like that, they just yes. totally, they tried to make it look like a, like a man. Anything, In fact, anything with man in it. Bomberman, <laughs> um, Mega Man, and uh, Bravo Man. That oh, was Bravo, too. Bravo. <laughs> I mean, it was, was a Mega Man, game. Was that like the one where it's like really big, like muscle guy in just like a blue suit and he's shooting at something? Yeah, really bad make? proportions. It's like, um, I don't know, somebody over in Nintendo of America or Capcom of America asked their 
thirteen-year-old to he's draw the like box silk, art. He's wearing a blue, his, a blue silk shirt with with yellow shoulder pads, and he's got some sort of hockey helmet on. It's <laughs> it's pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, Mega Man Two isn't much better, but it definitely no. blows you know Mega Man One away as far as box art's concerned. At least things are in proportion, which is nice. It's always nice to see, you know. Yeah. Um, and Mega Man's arm is now a gun instead of him actually holding a pistol. But Mega Man 2 wasn't uh, wasn't too nice either. Uh, it's that it wasn't until Mega Man 3 that they finally just used the anime-style box art, mm-hmm. which they should have been doing from the uh, get-go. You know, other box art that stands out that was really bad, I talked about how I loved uh, Bust a Move on uh, the music portion uh, of last month's uh, show. And we're not talking about the Bust a Groove in the States that was Bust a Groove in Japan. We're talking about Puzzle Puzzle Bobble. Puzzle Bobble, I believe it's called, right? Puzzle Bobble, is that what it's called? Uh, Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, Bust a Move, Puzzle Bobble, always had bad box art for some reason. I remember um, Bust a Move 2 on the Saturn had these sort of weird faces in bubbles, and they had toothpicks in their eyes, and it was strange, very clockwork orangey kind of. I know what you're going to say now. Super bust move, right? Oh yeah, and then you had a baby blowing uh, <laughs> bubble gum time. with sunglasses on, and you you kind of felt stupid bringing that to the counter trying to pay for it. And yeah, you, get, you know the guy at uh, Babbage's would look at you like, oh yeah, you like this game, huh? The only like, thing- no, no, it's a really good game, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, sure, okay. The only the only saving grace, I think, the Saturn one with the with the toothpicks in the eye or the matchsticks or whatever the hell they were. Yeah. Um, I think that you could at least reverse that one, and it sort of had, you know, like a like a almost a screenshot type of thing uh, on the back side of that um, instruction manual for the Saturn. Yes, but the, but the PlayStation you couldn't. Uh, so no. I had to like print out my own thing with Bub and Bob, and then <laughs> I slid that over top of that baby blowing a freaking red goo bubble. Yeah, uh, I didn't with the lie. sunglasses. So oh, speaking of uh, puke just- factor. I don't know, babyish type of uh, box art. Friday the 13th for the Nintendo was one of the strangest <sighs> um, box arts that I've ever seen. Uh, mainly because, I guess maybe it was a, um LJN game, so they had that whole rainbow theme about it. But you have um, Jason holding an axe above his head, and then all sort of these, like blast of colors behind him that like just scream like it's the 80s snort a lot of coke and vote for ronald reagan type of deal going on behind him i see and uh it's a it proudly displays destroy jason dot 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 if you can which i just what did they what did they mean in between there i don't know what they were trying to Uh, dot 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 you you maybe oh yeah, yeah there you go also on my list, it simply says um, every game that ever came out for the Sega Master System. Yeah, um, about uh, classic graph <laughs> paper type of backgrounds. <laughs> Some that stick out uh, as the worst to me would probably be pro wrestling, yeah. where a decapitated, horribly <laughs> drawn wrestler is, I guess, giving a headlock to himself. The, and then well, there the, would this be- is a, the, the, all those box arts were precursors to like uh, to. To uh, what was it? What was that guy's name? Uh, the MTV movies. Jumps the what? Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, uh, oh yes, because he draws on graph paper. Yeah, yes. But it looks um, like his drawings. It looks they like they do a, look like his drawings. A, a liger <laughs> should be in back of that, that guy holding his own head. It's a flipping Tygon. Um, so the the other game that stands out to me as one of the worst on the Master System would be Ghost 
house, I believe it was called. Oh, yeah. Where it was simply just somebody holding the cartridge. Well, that's how all those cartridge-based ones were. Like so the, bad. Um, the uh, This is what's inside and, the box. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Almost all those card-based systems. Two cards? Well, that was a turbo. That yeah. was Hudson uh, had that. The Master System card. Mm. Hey, card. I think. Yeah. They were all sort of like that. The Turbo, speaking of Turbo, the TurboGrafx-16 also had some pretty horrendous box art all around. I remember um, the first Bonk Adventure being pretty terrible, and uh, Final Zone, and uh, a few oh, other, just really, really bad Americanized art. Final that, Zone 2, you mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah Final uh, Final Zone 2. It was like they went to the airbrush artist in the mall and said, hey, can you do box art? You it's it's not, back it's, in an hour. Yeah, it's it. If you ever saw a uh, dungeon explorer, it's like what is that pastels? What is yeah, going on? It's, it's strange. And it, um, but go ahead, John. And are you done? By the way, Kyle. Oh no, I got a lot more oh crap. My gosh. But I mean, we you know we can move on. It's fine. I mean, I get, I think people get the the gist of where I'm going. <laughs> All right. You know, you hate box art. <laughs> no, there's just a lot of box art to hate. Yeah. <laughs> right. What you got there, John? Uh, well, I don't know if either of you have ever played this, but uh, Fire Pro Wrestling D on the Dreamcast. Sure. Terrible. Uh, it looks like uh, there's blood all over the box or something, <laughs> and there's lightning coming out of the letter D, Yeah. and there's some guys kicking each other. I think Tiger Mask is on it, but uh, it's it's kind of it's terrible. Another uh, one I brought up recently uh, was Space Invaders Extreme, and that... Is just awful because it's like gray invaders with just yeah, gray letters, not. and it's just it's horrible. Not but uh, I'm gonna bring up some uh, a weird kind of contrast here, and that's uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Yes, because, that actually because, that was on my list. Yeah, because in America, you uh, as far as I know, you got like a crappy picture of a castle with a blue sky behind it. Or exactly something. what we got. Yeah. We got the best art ever. We got that Japanese art mm-hmm. here in Europe with the awesome drawing of the guy and all, and it's got all the really nice box art in there. And I, I mean, I just, uh, whenever they put the effort into Castlevania, the art is just so nice. Even on the first one on the NES, it's just that picture of uh, Belmont at the gates and Dracula is up in the, uh, the castle. That just screams play me to me, you know? Mm. Yes, sir. But, uh, I mean, as far as nice game art, it it really depends on what effort the company puts in, you know? Yeah. And if the people who made the game have a say in the art, because, I mean, I think Castlevania is a prime example. It went to, like, I guess Konami of America, and they just went, right, there's a castle in it, put a castle on the box, what's your problem? (laughs) You know? (laughs) It is called Castlevania. So it's a future castle. Yeah, I mean, I, I can honestly think that must just have been the way it was. Like, you know, whereas in Japan, I can't remember the woman's name though, but she pretty much does all the art for the Castlevania series since, and her art is just fantastic. Every time we see a box and, and with why, her art on it, why is it know? that the that the Japanese companies really care about the box art, and then when they brought it to the states or or uh, wherever, uh, it just was like, you know, who cares about what the box looks like? Doesn't make any because sense. Muscle cells. 
<laughs> but I mean, even even yeah. Atari games uh, didn't have well some. of Yeah, they used to have that watercolor. Remember the twenty six hundred games? They'd have watercolor yep. and uh, the bowling. I remember like Very action strange. shots. And, yeah, it was odd. But, uh, but but at least it was done by like a real artist. I don't know who the hell was in charge of the Turbo Graphics stuff, and even before the TTI stuff, like you were saying with Bonk, and then and that was even bad. And you wonder why because here's a here TTI they understood. Uh, you know the 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 Japanese market and stuff like that, and uh, yet they, we still suffer from horrible horrible box art. Yeah, to but, me, it seems like it'd be so much easier just to keep the art that they get the game, you know, with from Japan. I guess they just, thought, thought our eyes weren't sophisticated yeah, enough. We need. They'll never understand these gigantic eyes. Airbrush the crap out of this immediately. We need these yeah. pastel yeah. uh, things. Throw here. some watercolors on this thing. American audience will never buy this. But even <laughs> worse, uh, Splash Lake was uh, particularly bad. Uh, that was done in, like, 3D... I don't even think it was real 3D. I think it's someone with an airbrush pretending to do 3D work. Uh, and then the same person, and this is my giant pet peeve. You heard it a billion times. Legendary Axe. They did. They had to do the same work for Legendary Axe and Legendary Axe 2 because they're both uh, atrocious and have the same foreshortening going on and bad perspective work. But I just realized... That uh, Monster Lair and Legendary X. Not only is the Legendary X artwork so horrible, it's got the the caveman uh, sort of guy in his loincloth, and he's reaching back with his arm in, in a way that no person would ever reach back, and, and yes. his axe is near you. And then the creature is uh, is is on the on the left side of the box art with his giant face. He not not only he or she not only is the artist so horrible and lazy they swiped their own artwork layout for the monster lair cover which is the exact same cover except uh, except flipped so now you get the more anime looking dude with his arm stretched back in the un canny position except now he has a sword in it and instead of the giant spider creature to uh, on the left side of the box it's a giant snake creature on the right side of the box it's the same piece flipped it's awful and then for legendary x2 they just uh did a mirror image of the crappy art on both of them <clears throat> so that is my uh, most horrible now I guess that that artist was so bad that they they decided for Galaga 90, we're just going to take a screen capture and we'll leave the scan lines in. <laughs> so it's a screen capture of Galaga with uh, the uh, the um, title over top of it. And Acclaim didn't just screw up Bubble Bobble, Bust a Move franchise there. They also did their Bubble Bobble, their Rainbow Islands, uh, also featuring Rainbow Islands for the Saturn. It's like an old television with some horrible default bubble filter going on inside of the color television in a giant black and white hypno wheel. It's uh, just equally as awful as a baby blowing a bubble. But yeah. it doesn't have the puke factor as a baby blowing a bubble or the eyeballs matchsticks. Acclaim has always had like uh, lots of bad box art mm-hmm. from you know to today all the way back to the Nintendo and the... Gra- I mean, do you remember... Um, oh, what was the game now? Fabio Iron Sword? 
Yes, yes. Sure. Tapio. <laughs> yeah, they, it looked like it came straight off of one of those romance novels. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, they've now, always had. In, in the corner of good artwork, of course, from Japan, one of my favorites was Download. And, you know, it's just an anime-style type of thing. And the Bombermans, that, where they kept the, the anime style in the States, were pretty good. The ones where they went for some type of rendered man-looking thing are just uh, lousy, but Bomberman 94 was a game that excited me. It's just a, a picture of Bomberman riding on a thing, but uh, Hudson did a lot of great work with the Bomberman series, and like Star Parodia, uh, a lot of their anime-style ones from Japan are great. But in the States, I, I have a, a couple here that I will mention that were particularly good. Baseball stars for the NES <clears throat> had fantastic uh, box art. I, I left all the promotional things out that may have had, you know, license from movie posters or things like that. But Katamari Damacy, Damacy, as I like to call it, I think had very uh, neat artwork for the United States for PlayStation. I'm, I'm surprised by it because it's two cows and they're in front of a city. But then in back, you can see this giant ball of rolled up stuff and I'm like that is exactly what this game is and yeah. I don't know if it's going to sell anything but it definitely is what the game is and I, I really enjoy the artwork so also out of the out of my butt Sega CD Revengers of Vengeance uh, the box art <laughs> is much better Classic. than the game uh, because they made it look like a, a monster movie type of movie artwork and Here's somebody that spent a lot of time, and the only other complaint that I really have is anything for the Super Nintendo in the United States. Nintendo of America, for some reason, instead of having the Super Famicom giant box and, and room for, you know, a giant pieces of artwork and everything, most of the Nintendo box, Super Nintendo box for America is branding and, like, gray and black bars over everything and Nintendo and... Like I said, branding and and black and gray business. So Same you, with the N sixty four. Oh, mm-hmm. was it really? Yeah. Yeah. So all you get is this little, you know, mezzanine, this little window of of artwork, and so I poo on that. And uh, thrown in for extra good measure, truth in advertising, and we'll go back to the Atari twenty six hundred Towering Inferno by U.S. Games. It's just a screenshot of a of a fuchsia building that is on fire with some type of orange, uh, I don't know what it is, slat flying in front of it. I believe it's supposed to be a helicopter. And the number three is on the bottom. So uh, those are my box art businesses. I was just going to say the uh, Street Fighter 2. Remember when all those championship editions and all came out? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and you see one Super Nintendo. The Super the Mega Drive, I remember having pretty cool artwork. I think it was like a Ryu warming up a Hadouken or something. But uh, I remember just the box art for the Super Nintendo just being like a really kind of crappy imitation of the graphics. And like, they were just kind of chunky, not very well drawn. It seemed like the intern did it or something, you know. But uh, and it was like an afterthought. I, I don't know why. Yeah. Like, but uh, they couldn't well, have got the guy who actually drew the pixels to do it, you know. Right. Well, if you remember when they, when even they call him Bison, I guess in the United States, 
But remember his Balrog, yeah. Yeah, remember his goofy pointed toe? Well, uh, I don't know if you remember, but Street Fighter Alpha had some horrendous box art as well. Did it really? The, uh, I have yeah, to the go PlayStation look. Was okay, so that's that topic. Let's get let's move right on. Now, here here comes a topic that I have no idea even how to phrase this question. I guess it was raised in in our forums, which we now have the the uh, forums. You could go to wetalkgames.com and click on the bulletin board link to participate in our online forums. We're up to 50 members, so how can 50 members be wrong? Hey. Uh, but this was this question started being batted around, and it is sort of like the death of social interaction while playing games. And this, this is a pretty broad-spectrum question. It can range anywhere from the death of arcades, what games did you used to like to go together, uh, go to meet people like at the arcade and play together, that would cause social inter- interaction, or I guess it, it came up all because of the new Super Mario Brothers for the Wii. Right. Not being able to play multiplayer online, but actually having to have physical people sit next to you and uh, yeah. and you know interact with them uh, to be able to Which play. Was a the sore game. point for a lot of people. A lot of people didn't <laughs> like that idea. Yeah, because then they have to put on pants. You got to make friends. Yeah, they have to know, wash. Shower. I mean, on the forum we talked about this. There was a lot of re- well, not a lot, but there was a few reviews out there. And How a few can there be a lot? who were complaining that the new Super Mario Bros. for the Wii would not be, or as of right now, does not have any online capabilities. Mm-hmm. In which my response was, if you can't find at least one friend to go out and you know play this game with you, maybe video games is not what your concern should be. Maybe you should turn off the video games and go see the sun or something, you know what right, I mean? Right. But, um, it, you know, it was an interesting conversation. And also, before the Facebook page or group was shut down uh john had put up a video about the life and death of the golden age of the arcade and oh, uh, he had made the comment about how the so that socially in- interactivity is hard to find or it does not exist you know today mm-hmm. in video games right on well i'll go first with something that everybody knows uh, what i'm going to say and that is the t- the game that uh, that brought the most people over to my house well first of all uh i have to back up i actually had a party for the release of tempest 2000 so oh, okay. i had a tempest 2000 party so that brought people out although it's a one-player game you could take turn you could take turns playing two-player or i think there might have even been four-player on there or something and actually, you could play the two-player. It was split-screen and and not a lot of fun to do. That was that was one of the games that uh, brought a lot of people over to my house, and we actually had a little party. But that's not really what we're talking about here, I don't think. What did bring a lot of people to my house and a lot of people to play and participate in was 10-player Saturn Bomberman. Saturn Bomberman was 10-player if you had two taps. If you had one, you could play seven-player, and that was a bigger screen mode. When you got ten players all going at it at one time, it was everybody on screen simultaneously. You were pretty small because Mm. you had to fit ten people playing Bomberman on here. But it was incredibly fun because it wasn't just white Bomberman, red Bomberman, green Bomberman. You had white Bomberman, black Bomberman. You had Miss Honey. You had characters from a lot of the Hudson games like uh, Bonk was on there. Uh, you had people from far east of Eden, the Kabuki fighter type of uh, people. You had Master Higgins on there, and you had Yuna, was a hidden character from Galaxy Fraulein, Yuna. So it was uh, an amazing blast, a lot of fun. 
to play multiplayer. And also, uh, and something that a lot of people don't realize is that that was an online game as well. Even oh, in the see, states, I didn't know that. even in the states, you needed the X band. Remember that guy? Or uh-huh. there was another modem for the Saturn, which I didn't have. Yeah, uh, no, but yeah. I don't think many people had. No, that. no, but the X band I did have, um, oh. and but I never really played that online. I had the X band for my Genesis and for my Super Nintendo as well. But uh, that that was a lot of fun, and that is a game that is screaming to be turned into something that you could play. Even even online, if you wanted to do that on on these next gen consoles, but the problem is, is that it's not as fun now. These Bombermans are all these three D rendered poofs that I just I can't get behind. I can't get behind those characters. They just seem lazy. I really enjoyed when you push the pixels around. You could be other Hudson characters. Please somehow bring this Saturn port to my Xbox or the PlayStation Three or something. Definitely sounds like a Xbox Live Arcade game. It would be fantastic, yeah. and and the ten player in the in the uh, sixteen by nine format that would all work and wouldn't be tiny. And awesome. uh, the only other things I'll I'll also add in here were, were anything that supported the TurboTap five player uh, play mechanics, excluding Battle Royale, uh, <laughs> but definitely. Uh, involving Moto Rotor, that was the game that me and my buddies played the most. Was Moto Rotor? Now it's a top-down racing-style game with power-ups that uh, you know takes a little bit of getting used to steering when you're just doing looking at top-down racing. But we had a big blast uh, playing that once you understand the the steering mechanics. John, a lot of racing games are like that. And uh, I'll get into them in a minute, but uh, the most recent game like that I've come across has got to be uh, the new UFC game. And uh, I played that yesterday, and there was about uh, five or six of us in the room, and just literally knocking the crap out of someone, <laughs> and then like just getting up in their face about it is just so much fun. And like you can brutally knock people out in that game, so when you win, you win. And you what, know, what system uh, was this for? Xbox 360. Okay. Just uh, like... A hell of a game, like really good, and uh, it's well balanced. It's a good, really good beat 'em up, actually. Like if you if you like deep like SNK style beat 'em ups, I, I'd recommend it. But like just getting a bunch of people together who just want to see uh, well represented fighters in the digital form get the tire knocked out of them. It's just it's awesome, like you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was gonna say, uh, I don't know if other reviews have played this, but uh, Micro Machines on the Mega Drive back in the day yeah, when I you could hook. When you can hook the extra two controllers actually into the cartridge, oh, that, okay, uh, yeah, that was awesome. I remember it was like the first time a lot of people I knew played like a game with more than two players, and uh, it was just so much fun to play that game. I mean, I, I like those two games a lot, and I still play them to this day. Like, but uh, back in the day when you could get enough people around to play it, it was just so much fun. That game is all about like treacherous falls and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So. Like it was always claimed that playing against the computer isn't a real uh, game of that game because the computer can't punch you in the face to make you fall off in real life, which used to be the way it was. Same with Mario Kart, actually. My cousin said, like, oh, I'll yeah. never play um, Mario Kart online because you can't hit the guy with your elbows while he's turning corners. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as far as the arcades, I just miss playing like Street Fighter and stuff like that in arcades because you could. I don't know, you just get into someone's head, you know, and mm. uh, like when they have you down to your last nub of energy, you just kind of 
basically just start talking him into getting scared of you again or something or watching their hands or you know just to catch their rhythms and their strategies and stuff like that I, I mean I missed that a lot with the arcades as well when it was like you could go in and play a game like Lucky and Wild you know where you're driving and shooting at the same time and you got a buddy next to you and they're firing at, like at the same screen and it's just a, that's all kind of lost now. People think social gaming is like just playing uh, Smash Core tennis with a friend over the internet, but I mean, like, yeah. the, I mean, the real competitive gaming and real just fun teamwork and all that. That was all back when, back before the online thing took over and became what multiplayer is known. That's just my opinion. Right on. I agree. Yeah. I guess I should go next then. Um, for me, I I actually thought about this topic um more broadly as far as earlier in video gaming and then where i am today mm-hmm. and how i um derive this sort of social interaction through games so like some of the earliest examples for me w- were the street fighters and the mortal Kombat's fighting games really to me were the best way to uh, have social interaction uh, there was an arcade by me called Spaceplex, and I used to go there, and either, you know, my parents would bring me there or my grandparents would bring me there, and they just let me go. And, you know, they go off and get a drink and hang out for a couple hours, and I'd go and play the games. And I always w- were drawn to the, the Street Fighters and the Mortal Kombats and trying to beat kids that were a little bit older than me, five or six years older than me. Some of my favorites were, uh, you know, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, Primal Rage when that came out. Sure. And I just remember the, f- the, the the fun of sitting there and just wailing on those uh, those buttons and that joystick and just, it felt like if you hit it harder maybe you'd hit the guy harder in the game. I don't know. But it, it, there was definitely this kinetics between being in this big open space, lots of noise, you hear all the machines behind you, it's you and this other dude kicking the crap out of each other on screen and uh, there was... Yeah, a lot of satisfaction that that I think was lost. The, you know, the recent Street Fighter dropped, and um, you know, I got it. I was excited about the game. I played it for a couple of days, and I haven't picked it up since. Uh, I don't know if that's because I didn't. I thought I was going to get the old feeling of that competitive nature that I was having with Street Fighter and the, those uh, fighting games. One of my favorite fighting games is Soul Calibur and Soul Calibur Two, mm-hmm. and. I, I purely played those in the arcade. I didn't get those on any console until much later. I just remember going in and, and rolling up with Valdo and just annihilating guys and just having a blast doing you know doing that. Some of the earlier Konami games, the four-player arcades, where you have you know you and three pe- three other people, or three your friends, all standing together playing either the the Simpsons game or those turtle game, uh, the Ninja Turtle games. Yeah. All those licensed games were a lot of fun. That X Men arcade game. Yeah. Uh, you know, games like Time Crisis, um, a lot of those shooting games, Point Blank was another example of just being with uh, your friend and he's standing next to you and you're talking or you just roll up with somebody who's playing it by themselves and start playing and start chatting it up about the game. Yeah, because you can of- put your drink on top of the arcade machine and your cigarette. <laughs> and I remember uh, um, being uh, a little bit younger and I was playing the... A Simpsons game, and the arcade that I went to, you'd have to cash in your money for tokens. Okay. And we had come so far in the game, there was me and three other people, and uh, I think two people knew each other, and the one kid didn't know those two, and you know, pretty much we're all strangers. And we got so far in the game, I got bumped out, 
that they actually gave me money. They're like, here's a buck, go quick, get more tokens, jump back in, because we wanted to beat the game. Like, yeah. that's cool. And I, I think that, you know, something like that is lost. Yeah, I remember a lot of groups of people trying to beat uh, Turtles and uh, X-Men. Sunset Riders. Oh. oh, that was a great game, Sunset Riders. Yeah, I a lot love of those four-player so games are just so, so good. So um, that, then I thought about, like, what console games are like that? Because there was a little bit of a discussion like that on the forums. And a lot of sports games came to mind. Yeah. One of the earliest being, like, ice hockey for Nintendo. I remember playing that with friends. And uh, a little later, I remember playing GoldenEye and having, you know, three of your friends come over and doing the split screen and all gathering around the screen trying to look at your little shoebox worth of uh, yeah. GoldenEye. Yeah. But, um, you know, that was a lot of fun doing that. And then, you know, once um, online play came in, you saw less and less of, I mean, even now, you don't see split screen as much. And not that split screen is all that great, but it just goes to show you that that's starting to wean out. It's not so much um, your local play. It's more of this 16, 32 players at once, your, your Halos and your Call of Duties, where people just uh, log in and start playing with massive amounts of people but mm-hmm. it's not the same as having somebody sit there with you or stand next to you and you know seeing them face to face right uh, speaking of arcades uh, before we wrap up this topic what are some of the arcades that were around you what are some of the names you mentioned all right spaceplex would be one uh, sports plus which i believe is a chain that can still be found in the midwest and now there's not many around so it was uh you know spaceplex was the place in the 90s and then that closed and it was replaced with Sports Plus. And now it's Dave & Buster's, which uh, I'm sure yeah. many people have seen those advertisements. Grown. Uh, well, I had, uh, we had, at the at the mall, we had the Spaceport. And I think that was a, a chain. Uh, locally, uh, even Epicurean, Trapdoor was called Epicurean way back in the day. We played at the Quarter Time in okay. Bath, Pennsylvania. And that was great quarter time and i can't remember what the downtown there was a downtown bethlehem one that i was speaking about where it had the black light and the cigarettes on the machines and i remember playing (laughs) missile command and i remember playing um berserk and a lot of those uh titles there there's also a club called scarlet o'hara's down in the basement yeah he said wim dewitt was the dj but we used to have a back room, and oh, what was in there? The other Vectrix-based, where you could bounce off the walls, and then you shoot Omega Race. I used to love Omega Race. It had the fat, it had the fat vectors. I loved them, and the little like puff balls that used to chase you around. And you bounce off the walls, and you can, you could ricochet shots and things like that. How about in uh, now? Where where did you mostly grow up there, John? Uh, well, I grew up in the Wexford area here in Ireland, which is the southeast corner of us. And, and um, how many arcades sorry? did they have there? Uh, well, you generally just had to go to the beach to play arcades. Oh, okay. go to the arcades, like you know. Sure. But they didn't really have any spectacular names. It was just like arcade or amusement <laughs> hall or something like <laughs> right that. Right on. And Knobles Grove has a great arcade still. You could go in there and play a lot of the environmental games, like Let's Go Jungle. And two versions of arm wrestling, the Sega arm wrestling game and the original style uh, plaster mask wrestler arm wrestling game. Sorry, I just remembered one here. Okay. There was one actually in the town where I live, and that was called the Ambassador. Uh, that's not, I just remembered it there. Right the Ambassador. And, uh, and, yeah, it had, That's a winning uh, arcade like a, name. It was like a snooker hall slash arcade. Oh, okay. And it was and it was rough. That's it what I need. So snooker. <laughs> See, I need to hear that. Snooker. 
<laughs> That's what the people demand. I demand it. They think that you're just faking the accent. <laughs> okay, we need to well, hear I'm... snooker. We need to hear, you know, cricket. And cricket, oh, cr- <laughs> cricket is what? an Irish. No, no, it's not Irish at all. Need to hear kilt. A kilt Closer, Scottish. I guess. Yeah, well. I, I guess. Let me think. Um, plaid. We need to hear. Let's talk about leprechauns, and we'll believe you. Uh, well, we don't have them, but they actually originated in France, as far as I know. Uh, that whole. Well, at the whole, they're not real. No, obviously. I can talk about like I don't know. Uh, Gaelic football or Thin Lizzy, but Thin Lizzy's the only thing I know about. Um, that's about it, yeah. All right, panel. Well, that's it. We answered the questions posed to us. Whether we did a good job of it or not is all uh, in, the, in the waiting. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, thanks for keeping in line with the theme of today's show, uh, this, this month's show. And we will uh, convene the International Panel of Video Game Millionaires next month on We Talk Games. Talk to you later, thanks. guys. Bye. Thank you. All right, Keith, let's open it up to Eric, Curly Joe, Alex. That, that's not even, that wasn't even worth it to say. Eric, let's get him on the line, Keith. Madison, Wisconsin, go! Eric, Alex. Hey, Wiggly, thanks for having me back. Yo, man. Hey, you don't mind that Eric, Alex moniker, I guess. No. Yeah, because we like to do. I even use it as my uh, screen name on the message board. I see that, and and we'll get into the message board as well, uh, the bulletin boards. As uh, you know, it's 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 a message board um, to the other shows, but for the We Talk Games, it's the bulletin board. Yeah. And why wouldn't it be? It's a great board. Hey, man, what you been playing? Uh well, I've been playing a couple of games lately. Oh, good. Um, I think the big one that I've been playing that uh, I think uh, got a lot of hype was the Ghostbusters console game. Great. I've been waiting to hear about this. This has been delayed for 18 years now, and it's finally going to bring to a culmination all the Ghostbuster events. Yeah, I guess they said it's the the sequel to Ghostbusters 2, which isn't... Uh, which wasn't a good movie. Um, uh, do you, now, do you fight the Statue of Liberty in this, or she's back to... No, you don't. Okay. No. The Statue of Liberty is uh, sadly absent. I. Well, that's weird. I wonder if someone like owns the rights to the Statue of Liberty. I don't know. You'd think that'd be public domain by now, wouldn't like you? Rene Dupoide, or whoever gave that to us. I can't remember his name. Yeah, me either. Yeah. Well, I don't miss him anyway. <laughs> so how, how did what system was this for? Three sixty or? I played it on the three sixty, but okay. it came out for the PS three too. Sure, sure. Hold on. Xbox. Xbox. So what happens in Ghostbusters? It's good. You you proton pack around. What happens? Well, it's uh, I had kind of mixed feelings about the game. Um, when you start out playing, you play this new recruit to the Ghostbusters, and the uh, the conceit is that you're testing new equipment for them that's too dangerous for them to test themselves. Okay. And the game starts out, you, you start off with really basic equipment, you, and your character is really not very mobile. Mm-hmm. And uh. the ghosts that you see right away are just impossible to take down. And, so you know, the, to, to, just to start off, that whole premise sounds like something that the Ghostbuster team would not do whatsoever. It doesn't sound like that's what the Ghostbusters would do. Here, you're the new person, test out this equipment. 
Yeah. Hmm. Maybe. Uh, they're supposed to be kind of wealthy guys by the time oh, this game okay. comes along. All right. Well, okay. Then maybe maybe that all makes sense. Yeah. So it's it's so right away you're you're sort of like walking in quicksand or something. Yeah, your character's not very mobile and your your proton pack doesn't seem to do a lot of damage. Uh it plays it's a third person shooter. Okay. So you you see the ghosts, you shoot them until the ghosts look tired and then you switch to the uh capture stream. Okay. And then it becomes a fishing game. Where right. You try to reel it in and swing it around and you can bop it on the walls to try and stun it and then you try and drag it over the trap i mean that's kind of fun if you're into you know like the fishing mini games in zelda or whatever sure but they the the very first level you don't fight just one ghost at a time there's usually like three of these things running Mm. around i see so while you're trying to deal with one of them the other ones are shooting you in the back and your character can't really dodge very well at the beginning. You really have to play this game for a little while before your character starts to be decent at it. So as a result, like the first level is really difficult. Mm, mm. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard to actually die in the game because if you're knocked over, your friends can run up and save you. And the same, you can do the same for them. If they get knocked over, you can run up and save them. I see. So it's hard to actually get knocked out but it seems to just take forever to take a ghost down and and it's they're supposed to be the uh, the easy ghosts right right and then uh, the second level but they so send these like swarm creatures at you and they take forever to kill and there's tons of them I so you'll get to this one part where it's just you and ray hanging out together and you get swarmed by these creatures and you just die over and over and over and uh, it gets really frustrating, which is a surprise because, you know, it's. I figured this game would be kind of easy. Yeah, yeah. But it still seems kind of neat. You're hanging out with the Ghostbusters and they're fighting That's the good part. Yeah. They must have recorded just dozens of hours of dialogue for okay. this. Well, that's good. That's good. So as you go through the story, you're, you're hanging out with different combinations of the other Ghostbusters. It's very seldom that you have all four of them with you. I see. But they all kind of chit-chat back and forth, and it's it's really it's fun, especially if you're a big fan of the movie, uh, to hear the characters kind of go back and forth. And and the voice acting is, you know, it's all the original people, and it's pretty quality stuff. So it's immersive, but it's tedious. And it gets better. Oh, okay. As you go through the game, you buy these power-ups, and they tend to make you more mobile, they make your weapons do more damage, and the game becomes easier and more fun kind of as you go along i see okay plus one of the big weapon upgrades you get is the slime blower from uh from the second movie it's always good Uh, to have a slime blower slime blower yeah and you use that the the slime can be used to find secret doors and things like that Oh, okay um and it's got a secondary fire mode which fires a slime tether uh, so you shoot the slime tether at one thing and then at another thing, and the slime tether contracts and brings the two things together. Oh, okay. Mm. There's some really interesting puzzles towards the end of the game where there are floating platforms and you have to tether them together to move from platform to platform. But they don't use that enough. It, it only comes up in a couple of spots. But those parts are really cool, I think. All right. So, and how long does it take till it starts getting easy? couple hours hey, you're about i think you're about about on level three and these are not like short levels uh, okay. the levels go on for a while 
But at about level three, you start to get your weapons charged up to the part, point where you can actually go out and do some damage and kill the little peon enemies with one shot. All right, man. Well, that sounds like a good review. What yeah. else we got? The other game I've been playing a lot of lately is a uh, it's a free-to-play browser-based game called Duels. Okay. Uh, you can find this at www.duels.com. Now, is that with a Z or an S? With an S. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. It's a, it's a gladiator game. You uh, make a character, and you're a gladiator in sort of a fantasy world. It's not an action game in any sense of the word. You build a character, and it works kind of like a tabletop role-playing game, like Dungeons & Dragons or something like that. And then you enter your your fighter that you just made into fights against other players or against non-player characters. And once you enter the fight, your decision-making is done. The fight just plays out. Oh. And you can either watch a, a, a worthless little animation or you can watch uh, the narration, which gives you some number crunching to go with it. it. tells you how much damage you're doing, how much damage you're taking, who's dodging what. That's much more useful information for you as you play. Well, how it, how many different uh, like combinations of? I mean, what what are you building? Uh, like arm strength or weapons well, or what? It, when you start out, there's um, I think six attributes that you can divide your points amongst. Okay, and they're things like strength and stamina, intelligence and perception. As you go through the game. At about level 5, you start to get these skills that uh, give you special bonuses. And the skills are kind of like feats from Dungeons & Dragons, for those of us that have played that. They give you a special power that's usually fairly powerful. And those go off in various different paths. You can make a wizard, or you can make a, a strong warrior, or whatever. At level 20, you get some really powerful skills called openers that change the way the game plays quite a bit. You start off every fight with one of your opener skills, and it gives you a special power all through it. For example, one of my characters uses a, a poison power that uh, does poison damage for every hit I make. So then my character has a multi-attack as the build with two weapons. So I attack a bunch of times and apply a bunch of different poison damages. I see. And then at the beginning of the next round, it's all combined together into one big poison hit. So I do most of my damage through poison. It's it's really interesting. So now, can can a, a newbie just jump in here, or are they going to get squashed, or like, do you go against people your own level? How does that work? You do. You go against people your own level. Okay. You can get on ladders at I think level twenty, and it it matches you against people at about the same level as you. When you first start out, you spend a lot of time fighting the uh, non-player characters and doing the quests, and they teach you the game. As you go, it kind of unlocks new parts of the game. Like at level 20 you get those openers. At level 25 you get new special skills called action sets. And it just as you keep going along it keeps opening more and more and increasing your options. Sounds nerdrific. And speaking of free games and speaking of the Wiggly's World of Media message boards if you go to We Talk Games click on the bulletin boards link in there you will see we have a thread that uh, is started for free games. We Talk Free Games and this is where you could go to find links to legal, legit, free titles such as Duels. Uh, Hopefully we'll put a link up for that as well. I also noticed in there you started a thread about Fire Pro. 
And I am a huge fan of Fire Pro. The only problem with Fire Pro is if I start playing it again, it's the only game that that I can play. It just can I, I just get addicted to it. It consumes all my time, and I don't really feel like playing anything else because this game just has so much. I could just sit there and watch it forever. Now, oh yeah. Uh, and you also mentioned FireProClub.com. Uh, I've known Jim for years. I haven't talked to him in a, in a, in a while. I don't know why, but <laughs> probably because of something I said. But uh, I, I brought Jim on the old show they used to do about pro wrestling. Um, I even started a little side venture with Jim. He wanted to do a GI Moog thing, and I created this Moog movement that you were to take and then mix into your own music, your own song from this uh, this bass Moog line that I put down. And FireProClub.com is a great place, but there's also a thread on there for uh, FirePro, especially hoping to get some cause put up on there in zip format so that we can start sharing those a little bit. Now, what, what system do you like playing FirePro for? Uh, I actually have been playing the Fire Pro Returns on the PS2. Okay, very good. The the one that they brought out modern. here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, well, I, I think that uh, the, the cause work with just a little patch or something. Uh, if they they don't do. Just, okay, very good. Yeah, yeah. I, re- I remember then. Okay, well, that's cool. Yeah, so if you if you have any cause that you made or you want to talk about Fire Pro or you want to talk about any video games, just go to our bulletin board section and we'll get, uh, get you all involved with the chats. See ya! Bye. <laughs> hey, thanks for, thanks for everything today, Alex. Hey, you have anything else? No, that's right. what I've been playing. All right, man. Talk to you next month. Okay. Bye. Bye. Eric Alexander, he's on the boards. This show is stacked! And we got another stack uh, yet to come here. Clax wave. Uh, let's open the lines, Keith. John, so let's get him on the line, man. Brooklyn, New York. Go, John Sellers on the line. John. How you doing? Can you hear me? I can hear you just well. Uh, you're you're coming through loud and clear as, as well. I don't know uh, what you're calling on. Probably the the Galaga phone, I would assume. Uh, it's actually the Puyan phone. <laughs> the Puyan. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I go a little bit more obscure. That is obscure. That is obscure. Uh, well, as long as it's not the Tubin phone, I guess that's okay. And the, which <laughs> is not obscure, but is still equally stinky. It really isn't the best. What What is your favorite adult uh, arcade game? Adult meaning what? Define like, adult. Like the theme, the adult theme. Like they had pinball games that were sort of adultish. They had. Uh, um, I, I, For I don't my know. money, the most the most adult game I've ever played is. I mean, the actual game itself wasn't, but um, Dragon's Lair. When you got to the princess, ah. that was pretty. That was pretty hot. That that was that was uh, that was that was some good artwork there. Don Bluth had it going on. Now he really did. You are you are uh, the author of. Um, I got off. I got set off by that Puyan, uh, which is not an adult game, but it reminded me of something. I don't know what. <laughs> uh, but you are the author of one of my favorite uh, arcade video game books, Arcade Fever. Thank you. My other favorite is High Scores by Demaria Wilson. I don't know if you ever saw that. I've seen them all. That was a really good one, yeah. It was a good one, you know, but it doesn't have this nice appeal. Arcade Fever is all, I mean, this is this is a complete work. This is, from, from front to back, it looks like the book that it's about. You know, the graphics, 
the the uh, the, the great uh, screenshots, the layouts, everything from from the, the writing style, everything from cover to cover. I think is screams arcade fever. Thanks. You're welcome, man. And of course, your feature. Awesome. Yeah, it's well, I you know I call it like I see it. For a game lover, this is great, especially gunfight. Uh, now, was gunfight the first eight? directional joystick or do you know offhand which was the first eight directional joystick now if you were to ask me that seven years ago <laughs> i would have known for sure because now you've um, moved on well i mean i'm still obviously a major classic gamer but there, there are certain facts that you just sort of remember at the time and then the, what i what i remember most about gunfight is that it really isn't that great of a game. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. I'm sorry. I mean, if, if it's me versus you playing, yeah. I'm sure it would be great. I mean, but, you could probably kick my ass, but, um, but you know. the cactuses, you shoot through the cactuses. You got to love that. I know. And you get to yell cacti at the top <laughs> of your lungs. Uh, and you're also featured in that great movie, Chasing Ghosts. Uh, now, will this movie ever be released? That is the question. Um, well, I saw it in a theater on, at a screening. And oh. I, you know, I was hoping that um, King of Kong would have allowed that movie to be released. But, you know, it's funny the way I got it. I mean, they asked me to do that movie, and I had no idea that, you know, the way they were going to use me. It was uh. just, I thought it was hilarious. They used me as like this... This like goofy dude, which uh, pretty much sums me up. Oh well, I I I didn't think you came off uh, that way at all. But now, of course, in the movie you do play Billy Mitchell. That's probably why you thought that. No, you don't play Billy Mitchell. Okay. I wish <laughs> I could kick his ass. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Uh, now we we never had Billy Mitchell on the phone, uh, but but we we are getting close. And as a matter of fact, Kyle von okay. Kubik, who works on who who do, helps produce this show, did a little movie vignette called Passion of the Hot Sauce, where he actually, after watching King of Kong and being inspired by how. He gets played in that movie. He actually called up Billy Mitchell and made rude remarks about his wife and different things like this. But Billy, a nice guy, called him back, and uh, they they buried the hatchet, so to speak, and totally turns it around. Okay. So is he going to be on the show, do you think? Um, you know, but he's still guarded, though. You know, he's still a guarded fella. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I really wish I could I could pull off the ties that he wears. <laughs> Uh, he does have a large collection of American flag ties. No, no doubt about that. And, a, and an amazing mullet. Well, you know, it, it's sort of. Uh, I, I don't know if it, that's even called a mullet because it, it's sort of. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of. It's sort of the Farah and uh, the punk right. Farah or something. I don't. Yeah, I don't know you're right. Is. You're right. Actually, that's 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 a really good description of it. Now, nowadays, I mean, I'll get it back into gaming because I like to jump around in here because I don't have uh, very good notes. But if people want to find out about what you're up to now, they could go to angryjohnsellers.com. It's your blog. Now, does it help to be angry when you blog? Uh, I think it's pretty much uh, redundant to say that you're an angry <laughs> blogger. But um, I, uh, I have found that it, uh, it's just a way to describe myself that is just kind of ridiculous because most of the things I write aren't really that angry. No. It's just sort of, you know, like I try to, I use that to uh, to just uh, bring people in. People who are looking for angry stuff. Sure, sure. Imagine that, angry people on the internet. 
the uh, Arcade Fever. Now, I'd love to see a prequel to this book featuring like more analog precursors to video games. I talked about it on this show before. I used to play a helicopter game. It was really a helicopter inside of a glass case, and you flew it around with the, you know, you had your yaw and your pitch and all that, and you flew it around with two uh, joysticks and uh, like things like that. I remember there was a machine where you got a, you could get magic tricks out of like a smoking monkey yeah. and things like this. I, I'd love to see something like that. It probably wouldn't sell. Uh, that's the only problem. <laughs> but I'd love to see it. What, what would the title be for something like that? Uh, analog Fever? No. Yes. How about that? There I love go. it. I'm gonna give that, that, I'm gonna let you run with that. Okay. Uh, That'll be the prequel. The prequel, because I think Arcade Fever needs a prequel. I think that's a great prequel, and then I guess the the sequel would be. I mean, this goes up to nineteen. It goes from nineteen seventy one to nineteen eighty five, mm-hmm. and I originally did want to do a sequel, but then once I did this one, I, I was just exhausted uh-huh, uh-huh. and. I'm pretty lazy. I got. I, I, <laughs> let me put it that way. Well, that's um, uh, that's understandable. But also, like this is like my wheelhouse years of like when I played games, and anything later would I would have just been, you know, kind of assume like trying to uh, know things about them, and I, you know, so you I pretty s- much stopped playing in like 1990. You spent a lot of time under a black light. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's 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 good. Well, that's that's honest. I I enjoy that. I have I have two games I would like to in the prequel. I have one game for the prequel, one game for the sequel. Prequel. I would like to see the baseball game where the marble comes out of the pitcher mound and you swing the bat. Absolutely. at Absolutely. They had a they had a, that at the uh, the airport in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, Great back game. Seventies and I it was just I used to play that all the time. Whenever, they, yeah. they tried to modernize it. They tried to put electronics in it and things like that, but. Uh, but it's still yeah. a good game, no matter what you do with it. And in the sequel, I'd like to see the game where you're actually pumping a rail car, Magical Truck Adventure by Sega. You're, you're on a railroad car. Two people must pump the handle up and down to escape from other trains coming your ways and things like this. I have never seen that game, but that has to be one of the worst ideas I've ever seen. <laughs> it's insane, and you're yeah. it, it, it is crazy. Uh, what speaking of goofy games? What what do you think is like the goofiest game from from the era that you're used to uh, that you, that you played? I'd say without a doubt, it's Journey. The Journey Journey game where you're actually the band Journey trying to get away from doing anything pertinent. I don't know what they're trying to get away from. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of groupies who are chasing you, and you just sort of have to. You know, have to get rid of them. And like a somehow. heart, a heart with feet is chasing you or something, I think? Yeah, it's just really <laughs> surreal. And, I mean, I like Journey as much as the next guy. Sure. But, you know, <laughs> now what that game should have done is led to more games by other bands. Yeah. And Because I, for one, would actually have loved to have seen the Van Halen game. Ah. That would have been real groupies then. You know, I mean, groupies that were actually attractive. I don't know how many attractive women were really into Journey. I, yeah, I got gotcha. you. I, I understand. I understand. Uh, in a, a funny story about Journey. Uh, uh, like I mentioned before, Kyle von Kubik probably the, the ruined his Christmas getting Journey for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Ruined it. <laughs> he had no idea what was going on, and and he was just so sad. Uh, I'm. I mean, what did he want instead? 
you know. Uh, I don't know, maybe Yars Revenge, something with a little bit of substance. A little bit in. better, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and another, on a, on a side, I think they did, Van Halen game I think would have been very simple. I think you just take Jungle King and and yeah. and there's your, your David Lee Roth right there, I think. That's hilarious. And there's four screens on that, so you could have, have had one of the band members do each of the screens. And, and Eddie would have been, uh, not Eddie, uh, Eddie's uh, brother, other Van Halen, he would have been yeah. great for jumping over the the witch doctor. I think I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. I like that. Hey, John Sellers. Hey, Stinky. Hey, hey, did you ever did you ever play that arcade game, Asteroids? Um, once or twice. You played it in the arcade because I was wondering if you found my pack of cigarettes because I left them on top of the asteroids. What brand? I, I found a few. Lucky Strikes. Right Lucky Strikes. Uh, I, I did find them, yes. And it, it doesn't have your name, your initials. Can you describe it, please? Uh, I think I only had like two, like one and a half left. Because I had <laughs> well, to put it out. Totally at 10. Oh, I, thank goodness. Hey. I saved them for you for 20 years. Okay, I'm coming over. <laughs> okay. All right, Stinky, get out of here. What a jerk. <laughs> It's probably true, um, another, though. Another really ridiculous game, by the way, is Bubbles. Oh, Bubbles. Sure, sure. It's it's a great game. It's funny. It's it's fun, and there's really great gameplay. But just the name Bubbles, <laughs> I don't know. They could have done better. And and it's and it's included in, you know, the best. I know, uh, who, that was uh, Midway? Uh, it was Williams. Williams, Williams, Williams. Okay, so yeah. it, was in, it, it was in Williams Arcade's Finest or whatever. That was one of their finest yeah. games, Bubbles. It is really fun, but uh, you know, I mean, you're, you're, it's just crazy. The person who was who was uh, who created that game had to have been, you know, under the influence of something. <laughs> now, John, the reason I brought you on here is because we have both Nolan Bushnell and Ralph Bear on the same show, and I needed you to bridge the gap here because my, I, I, you know, I know things. I know a couple things. I had skeet on my pong and then i had high lie but I, I needed someone to really bridge that gap why did you write arcade fever well i wrote it because these games created a uh, a great childhood for me and wrong because you wrote it to bridge the gap somehow between nolan bushnell and ralph bear and because <laughs> i wrote this because i knew that eight years later i would be on this program to talk about it that is the answer we're looking for. I but, got it. See how quick study. <laughs> but obviously, this it was a big. Uh, what do you think about environmental Dissatron? Uh, you feature the joystick for right on the back of the, the the book here. It's one of my favorite games. You know that to me is like half. You know, like when you, when you play on Mame or whatever, you're you're really missing out on a lot of why classic video games were so powerful in terms of like nostalgia and getting people to go to the arcade um, back then because like it's just kind of cool to like be in front of these giant things and playing a game and uh, the artwork is is you know oh. uh, beautiful in some, yeah. some cases and you know you can't really get the same feel when you're playing on your computer no 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 definitely definitely now John now around me and probably you as well did you did you grow up in Brooklyn or you're new there or transplant or what 
I actually grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Okay. Well, well, when I was younger, we had WPIX in New York, and it might still be there. But uh, they they had uh, like Atari games. You would you would throw a football or you would shoot a spaceship, and you'd say picks, 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 picks in your phone. Right. I, I've I've heard of that. I'm, they didn't have that in Grand Rapids, but I de- I've definitely talked to people who who played that. But now they did have uh, another uh, another. Uh, video game related show Starcade I guess yeah oh man that show was great because like you know you would first of all you would see the latest games that were at your arcade and like you weren't quite good at them yet and so you'd watch people but then the great thing about that show is you could watch people play the games that you were already like awesome at mm-hmm. and they sucked and so you could yell at the screen and say like don't do that you're stupid you're, how could you possibly be on the show and you're worse than I am what were some um, of the great games? Of trash talk. What were some of the great games they played? They were like Rip Off or? Uh, I played like Zookeeper. And, oh. um, you know, like just these games. I, I mean, I know they played Burger Time once. They played Journey another time. <laughs> Did and anyone the understand that? The show play? is that you had the chance to win arcade games for your house. Wow. And you could, then you could have been like Ricky Schroeder from, from Silver Spoons. Uh, again, lost on me. I, a six million dollar man. If, if Jamie Summers had it in her house, then I might know it. But so I'll take your word for it. Silver Spoons. They had, of course, they had the arcade games. Why wouldn't they? They probably had the oh, yeah. Power Glove. They had. They had Pac Man. And uh, oh, okay. They had Dragon Slayer at one point. Uh, hey, one one final question for you. Now, I now one great thing I really like about this arcade fever, and you could you can still find this online on Amazon and things like that. Now, I, I guess it's not in print anymore, though, is it? It is. Oh, it is. Okay, good, good. Because because uh, I have like the original release. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's on Amazon. I like the People fact still that still buying it. It's crazy. It well, that's good, and it's a great. It's a great. Like I mentioned, I don't want to keep harping on the fact that it's great. Uh, uh, but Celluloid Nightmares is a great little uh, feature in here because I see Divine. Now, I actually touched Divine's boobs, you know, that because uh, I was in Hairspray, the original one. And wow. I, I was uh, I was backstage uh, the one one day and uh, in, the, in the wardrobe area. And right there were Divine's boobs hanging right on a hanger, big foam and, and uh, tan in color. So you know I had to touch them, just so I could say that. I love that we're talking about video games, but somehow Divine is, is involved with that, just because, well, I do have a photo of her. You do? Him in my book, which I, I'm surprised that I put, the, put that in there, but, um, you know. <laughs> right above Mr. When T. Buy, when you buy the book. Yep, right above Mr. T and right across from Starcade Game Show. Exactly. John, it's been a delight. Thanks for for bridging that gap that I could not do by myself. Um, and uh, what, what what current projects are you involved with? Anything big blockbuster right now? Uh, the only thing I'm really working on is trying to beat my Robotron score. Oh, so you are, are now are you featured on the uh, Twin Galaxies at all, or? Oh no! It's a personal. My, my, guess. my Robotron score is like two hundred and fifty thousand. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine's probably like two hundred fifty. So yeah, exactly. I so was more of a wizard. That's of my war. current project. I see. I see. Now um, you also you did, can, you, if you Google John Sellers, you can find me really. Easy. I'm actually the most like most Googleable John Sellers out there, and there are a lot of them. There you go. Uh, and so. and you also did a, a piece on independent bands, I guess. So that's kind of neat. Yeah, I did. I did a book about um, indie rock. And, of course, Trapdoor, my band, Cabbage Go-Go, uh, they're all featured in there prominently. 
Oh, maybe absolutely. in the sequel. Maybe in the sequel they'll be in. So, well, I, you know, I, I really appreciate this interview. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Take care, job. Bye. All right, later. Holy crap! Gaming, board in the gaming. You can't even game what your own can. The only portable gaming that I want to talk about on this month's episode of We Talk Games, Volume Two, Episode Five, is Google Thirteen Dick. I know we have a lot of Dick Togo fans that are listeners. So, this first of all, this came out for the Nintendo DS. It's Japanese only. And I just want to put out a public service announcement of all non-Japanese speaking game players. Do not buy this game. It is, number one, at first it is a sideways game. You hold the game sideways. I'm always a sucker for that when you hold your DS sideways to play you right on the right side or the left side, depending on your handedness, and then you watch the things happen across both screens. So in this game, here's you on one side of the screen, and you're talking in Japanese text to the person on the other side of the screen. And now you're in a coffee house talking, and now you're outside talking, and now you're inside talking, and now you're on the phone in two different places. You're on your phone in one place, and the other screen is someone else on in another place, and now you're talking on the phone. And now you're in two different places, and now you're in... Oops! Now he's dead. And now you're talking to two different detectives. One's on one side of the screen, one's on the other, and now you're in the hospital. So if you're expecting to reminisce about all the fun sharpshooter Gogol 13 of the NES days, the only shooting you'll do is when you shoot your words at one person on the other side of the screen. Because it sounds like you're shooting when you do that. So uh, I could only get about maybe... A half hour into doing this, uh, wait for the American release if it ever comes uh, out in the States, because I, I seriously doubt that this version or this title may make it. I know at some level you're bound to do some type of shooting uh, of some sort or another, but uh, to be honest with you, I'd rather play Gumshoe for a half hour. And this is sad because I love that franchise. And that's Portable Gaming uh, from Wiggly. And this just in over the teletype. Wow, last minute breaking news. And it's it's important that I get this in this month because uh, the offer expires August 11, 2009. Just another reason for you to get your Nintendo points all in there and join Club Nintendo. Finally, outside of Japan, in the United States, we are being offered some of the same types of rewards that Japan was always privy to. And this is amazing. Don't let this slip away. Uh, for gold members, now, gold and silver members, uh, gold and platinum members, rather, uh, this is in addition to being able to purchase things with your points and, and whatever. If you accumulate a certain number of points, you get gain gold member status or platinum member status. For gold members, Club Nintendo Original Calendar 2010, 2010 calendar, you can get, that is all Nintendoed up. For platinum members... Platinum Rewards, you get to choose from one of the following, a Mario hat, which is a true-to-life uh, true replica of the iconic red hat worn by Mario, or we wear 
Doc Lewis's punch out. You actually get to go against Little Mac versus Doc Lewis. So don't let these opportunities slip away from you from Club Nintendo. Join now and uh, stick your points in there. Hey, that's it. This was not episode five. This was epic sode five. Thank you, everyone, for making this happen. T.T. Schmootkins. I didn't even get to say much. We can't. I mean, we can't have it. I mean, you got to play your bell. Stinky the Game Master. Hey, I already got a contest for next month. That's great, Stinky. I am Wiggly. I couldn't have done it without Kyle Von Kubik. Thank you, John, Heather, Eric, Nolan Bushnell, Ralph Bear, John Sellers, of course, the council, the committee, and thank you, the most important part of the show, our listeners. Thank you for downloading and listening to We Talk Games. Great gaming, everyone. Talk to you soon. Poopy. We Talk Games. Oh.